morning, listeners. Welcome to Let the Music Be Your Master. Oh, what an exciting episode we have for you today. Uh, by the way, I'm uh, I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Arnold, and with me over the internets are Jason, Jordan, and the esteemable Dr. Steve Ricks. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, hello. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Ricks. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Hey guys, listen, you know me, I'm I'm trying to weasel my way in here whatever way I can. I'm always like texting you guys on a Saturday morning trying to harass you like, hey, what's going on? Hey, hey, what 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 music do you guys like? Hey, you guys got the you guys you guys got that one fact wrong. Hey. <laughs> It is because I'm because uh, I'm always cleaning my bathroom Saturday morning, and I got to have a soundtrack for that. And you know what it is? Let the music be your master. <laughs> Perfect. On there, I'm wiping out the sink, you know. And then Perfect. it's like, then I hear Jason say something like, "Yeah, you know the the Rolling Stones got their name from Bob Dylan." I'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> hold on, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute." Muddy waters. <laughs> Let's check the facts, okay? <laughs> anyway, this is sorry, wonderful. Sorry. Sorry yeah. about this that. is <laughs> clearly we need to make this a more regular thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I. <laughs> well, we we need to make this and Brandon t- telling us about math uh, computations. Those two things. So here's the deal. I told you, Ricks, I I got something for you. I Uh-oh. brought something for you. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna try. Ruh-oh. I'm gonna try something new. And and Brandon, you can cut this if you want. But uh, I'm gonna send you a file, Brandon, and um and I'm gonna ask you to play it. Um, let's see. Okay. Is that is that legal? Sure. All right. Um, uh oh. So here it goes. Let me make sure I got it. Okay. Yeah. And I should have had... Okay, there it is. Okay, here you go. Brandon, coming at you via tech... Uh, oh, crap. I should probably email it to you, huh? Well, I can airdrop it to myself. Oh, then I'll, uh, then I'll text it to you. Whichever. All right, file coming at you. And I think, weirdly, it may, uh, it may kick off the discussion a little bit that we're gathered... Today to discuss. So I just sent you a file, and I'm going to have you play it. And uh, this is for uh, this is for Rixie Ricks, and and anybody else that that wants to uh, to take anything from it. Um, yeah, that's the one. Just name right. that tune. What's happening? Um, no, you can decide what it is. You you all get to decide what it is. <laughs> Interesting. All right. It's a it's a Beastie Boys. Uh, I recognize the sample from a Beastie Boys song. Listen. Thank you. Uh, that's, that's my remix. Rick's was the birthday boy, and so I ran. There's this old... So it's the same track the Beastie Boys used for Jimmy James. It's an old uh, 
Jimi Hendrix Curtis Knight song he was doing this just this groove on Happy Birthday Live I ran it through my sampler chopped it up and uh, and remixed it a little bit sent that out to you Mr. Ricks it's you're the birthday boy and birthday uh, week. and wow. it's your birthday week but it's also a great way to talk about we're talking about American music today and Jimi Hendrix should be part of the discussion I would assume so there you go wow it it Very warms nice. warms that? my heart warms Thanks. the cockles of your heart the cockles <laughs> yes the cockles are warm well uh let's let's set up the this discussion here so back in march i know we we read this question on an earlier podcast but just to refresh your memory or if you didn't hear that episode uh we got a a a fan mail from Carrie R right no C Russin um <laughs> And she writes, my husband and I have been debating a question that I pose to you because I think it's interesting. Whether you love or slightly dislike the Beatles, you can't deny the impact they've had on music and their insane popularity. Question, what would you consider to be the most influential American rock group similar to the Beatles? Is there one? All my favorite rock groups have been from England, and the question has left us stumped. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I guess she's not a fan of Rush or Bee Gees or Silverchair. <laughs> or or uh, ABBA, even ABBA, apparently. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But she does make a great point. Gurus. I mean, you think of the classic rock bands that come to mind. Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Radiohead, mm-hmm. Rolling Stones, Elton John, Phil Collins. All from England. Right. U2, even though we haven't given U2 like, any love, right? All, well, I guess they're Ireland, but still not American. U2 I, gets, hit, you gets hit hard on this podcast, I, it seems I to do me. take a little bit of exception to your list, Brandon. We can get into this more. I don't, well, well, I don't know at what point you want to get, get into this, um, this because this is... This is uh, what list are you taking exception to? Well... How did you frame your named? list? Like all you said, all the great. I mean, I think your list was a little bit short sighted. You missed some important things. Part of the problem is there is a there. Like we need to establish the rules. Are we including solo acts or not? Or not? Um, right. Because if we are, then then clearly you have your Bob Dylan's, your Neil Youngs, your Jimi Hendrix. Um, but you also, I mean, there's, a, I think there's at least two notable. So I, <laughs> the reason I came ready, I came in hot for this. Um, like 10 years ago, I challenged a friend of mine, Landon, to have an all-time music draft, kind of like an NBA or an NFL style draft. And it, oh, you bet you did. every <laughs> band and every artist was eligible. And we were trying to make like our super teams. And so once somebody uh-huh. drafted someone, they were off the list. And this was the idea was this would give us um, a way to kind of figure out who's most important, who's more important than who else to us. Because once somebody was taken, they were off the table. You couldn't do it. anyway. Um, I think a couple notable missing ones from your list, like really important um, figures. I mentioned Dylan. I mentioned Hendrix, um, Chuck Berry, the Beach Boys, and Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground all fell in our uh, in the top 
like 12 of our, our draft as well. They came up. There's some, you know, the, the big ones that I think always rise to the top are probably <laughs> Beatles and Zeppelin, like pretty, pretty universally. Bowie is up there as well, but... I think stones. there's some some American acts that can yeah stones that 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 are right there neck and neck with them. Yeah. Well, so here when you guys sent us the so, so when you sorry, yeah. sorry when you heard the question from Carrie, you're like, what are you talking about? That was your first reaction. No, no, I, I because I've done the same thing. I mean, I've written, I've I've had lengthy debates about this. I've done the same thing. I'm not trying to be like. Well, I don't know. There's, there's a the conversation gets deep, the waters get muddy, and that's a pun I'm using intentionally very quickly because there's different ways you can look at this. Like it, all of those British invasion bands, I don't know if I'm jumping into anything too quick here. All of those British invasion bands were inspired by American blues artists, right? Um, but her and, question like, is like, who is the rock group that's that's as popular? as the so, Beatles from America. So, so yeah, I guess my the the thing I that I'm curious about, what are we measuring here? Are we measuring popularity? Are we measuring like influence well, yeah. and footprint in history? Are we measuring trying to measure objective goodness? Yeah. Well, I I don't know what your guys's approach was to this. Um I thought for for me um it made more sense to not focus specifically on rock necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a little, a little too narrow. Um, so I, I just made it like popular music, yeah. whether, whether, whether or not it's, it's rock. Um, and also including solo artists. Well, um, and then I, yeah, Jason had, when, when was it that you made this, uh, this rubric? I don't remember. <laughs> I, I make anyway, a, lot of a while ago, Jason. <laughs> Jason, as he is wont to do, uh, a while ago made some grading scale where he he ranked bands in uh, different categories. So I took that and added a few. So here's so here's here's what I thought um, would measure whether a band was the equivalent of the Beatles or not. So thinking about what makes the Beatles as important as they are. Uh, so my categories are body of work slash discography, one point per studio release up to 10. So maximum 10 points, one for each album, right? Uh, number of top 10 singles. It all comes back Beatles to math for this guy, apparently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't serious, know that what a Brandon. nerd. Who would come up with this idea? What a nerd. Jason, Jason did... 95% of this <laughs> before. Brandon's like, what I did is I made a cube, and then every band had to find a place in that cube. And no, okay, go ahead. So we've got number of top 10 singles, one point, uh, one point each, up to 10. Oh, okay. okay. Um, we've got artistic innovation, sliding scale from 1 to 10. Variety of styles and genres that they can do, another sliding scale, 1 to 10. Uh, importance within the era or genre, cultural significance, and general badassery slash coolness <laughs> factor for a total points of 70. Jason, in yours, you originally had a category for longevity, mm-hmm. like one point for every two years that they were a group. 
Um, and when I was putting together the list, the only one that didn't get full 10 points on that was the Beatles. And I was thinking, what <laughs> really does longevity matter in this? I th- so that so I, I think it matters because it's an indication of, of sustained cultural significance. Um, and then I originally had something in there. Because the Beatles don't have right. any of that, right? The Beatles don't have sustained culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Like, like if you look at, I mean, do the Rolling is there is there any value to like the Rolling Stones or even you two still existing and putting music out, even if Not their music necessarily. isn't as- <laughs> for their for their. To, to me, that category seemed kind of redundant with the body of work discography. I think there's but a then motion the on the table had- to remove that from the yeah. rubric. Uh, do I, I, I have a second? Do I have a second? I, I second don't remember <laughs> where it was in there, but there All was also something in there where um, an early death, an early death, um, I think gave them a little bit of a point Bumped boost because there's always that what if, you know, the kind mystique. of the Hendrix or yeah. the Kurt Cobain um, issue uh, right. because, because we don't know. They, they made a huge impact in a short period of time. So for, for what it's worth, that's what I graded my, my nominees on. Can I, can I sneak in here and make a comment about Carrie's question? So I, I didn't get the question. You, you, uh, I mean, we had seen it a month or two ago, whenever she first put it. But then when we were talking about this episode, um, I wasn't going off of that question initially. I was just going off of uh, greatest kind Mm -hmm. of, um, or what you had put in the text, right? But then when I saw her question, I thought, we're not answering her question if we we do it as who's, who's influential or rock group. But I think it's okay for us to change the question. But my list changed, but initially... I was going with this. I was thinking, who are the other groups? Um, who are the groups from America that could rival the Beatles? And it was a sorry list, I'll have to say. That's where I would say. Then I started going to influences because I started having this kind of, you know, my American pride was hurt. And I was thinking, you know, America's the birthplace of, of jazz and of, you know, rock and roll and of all of these uh, musical styles that are popular. So why are all my favorite bands historically and even of the last 10 15 years coming from england or canada or whatever um and also we have the eagles right all the you know all the american ones that (sighs) i found were the overrated ones like green day the eagles you know it's all these these groups that we had considered aerosmith aerosmith exactly (laughs) exactly yeah i think uh, no matter what i think it's like just a super interesting question and i was very uh feel very honored to be invited into the discussion because I'm like, you know, there, there isn't going to be, there's going to be no answer. It's just going to be like, you know, it's going to be a bloody fight, but it's going to be an interesting discussion uh, because it just brings up a lot of issues. And that thing that Jordan just said totally came to me, the idea that I kept trying to come up with bands or groups and I kept landing on individual artists as the ones I felt like were the real rivals. Maybe an exception to that at the time was the Beach Boys. You know, I mean, there's right. obvious they're going head to head. But but again, that also comes into effect the individuals is that all these American acts or bands I was thinking of get cut short for various reasons. Somebody they die soon or they break mm-hmm. up, you know, or, you know, Brian Wilson just d- breaks down, disappears or whatever. So. You kind of you kind of feel like wow if the Beach Boys could have kept going says you Steve look <laughs> at their discography yeah it's true 
Uh, if the- <laughs> they, they had an album every year until 80-something. With well, Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson, okay. Uh, it, but yeah, yeah, none, yeah, none right. Of are, so if Brian- none of them are highly regarded or very listened <laughs> The true masterpiece was Kokomo, though. When they got John Stamos on the drums, that's when they really came into their own. <laughs> Sounds like you're making an argument for sustained performance, Brandon. <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to hear the end of your point, Ricks. Oh, I just, I mean, it's like, I, I'm... That was a long rambling way to underscore what you're saying about the individuality. I th- I think rather than the, I, I mean, even though these solo artists or acts are obviously have other artists around them who are really good and who propel them and everything. Uh, it seems like it's more about the individual artist yeah. and that, and how is that, is that true? And does that somehow reflect just, you know the spirit of America. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Sure, it certainly at some point reflects like American exceptionalism at some at some level. But it, um, I don't know. I the way I the, so the approach I took <clears throat> was kind of the um, the revisionist history approach. Uh, uh, like I was imagining kind of what what was the footprint that each one of like like if you're just to simplify what the Beatles did, like what makes them so great. There's this massive footprint, and so the the it hit me about midnight. The approach that I kind of pivoted to was the elimination approach, and I know that there's been a movie made about this. I never saw the movie, um, but I've been doing this exercise for a long time. Not like it was an original idea. The, the approach I took was if you eliminated this group and their body of work, or this individual and their body of work from history, what what other things would then like domino effect would we also lose like if you eliminate the beatles existence then what do we lose now because they weren't there to inspire what they did and that was kind of the way in my mind i was envisioning what the footprint was now it's a little bit they they are i guess the beneficiary of time in a certain case it makes it a little bit difficult to take even you know even an act like michael jackson or prince the beatles have 30 years on them, 25 years on them of influence that, 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 that the more recent acts don't have. But I think you can still have an idea, like when you add in, you know, cultural impact and just kind of how they move the, the whole needle overall. If you, if you eliminate that existence, what, you know, what, what have you lost? Well, let, let's dive into some, some nominees. Mm-hmm. George, you want to start us out? Um, sure. So we we decided we're each going to share three nominees, right? Okay, I'm going to start and play off, some snippets from them. I'm going to start off with uh, I'm going to go with Michael Jackson, and he's my most modern of my three nominees. But you know, if you've listened to the '80s episode, I I maybe controversially picked him as my overrated for the decade. That doesn't mean I don't have love for Michael Jackson and his work. It means that. When we were doing the research for the episode, I had no idea he only had two albums during that decade, and those two albums I don't like as much as his albums from, or his Off the Wall album, or even his Jackson 5 work. So for me... Or even Michael Jackson history. Uh, I like it better than that. <laughs> Wait, history is that the is that the like greatest hits compilation? Oh, is that what it is? I can't. Yeah, remember. that was that two oh. disc. Compilation yeah. that came out. What, that was, what was his last? His last, his last got like a big statue on the cover. But, yeah, 
And it uh, might have a new, it might have a new song on it or two. I don't know, but yeah. dangerous, yeah, yeah. dangerous. That's what I was thinking. I think no, dangerous was nineteen ninety or ninety one. He had another one yeah. after that in two thousand one. Was his last album. Mm. But I, invincible. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I so I chose Michael Jackson. So partially to kind of argue with myself, you know, to say obviously, you know, to say he was overrated for the eighties is kind of ridiculous in the sense of how many hits he had and the cultural impact and influence and just how huge he was. And I, I, you know, I argued for Prince as the decade champ, which I still, you know, I like that argument. However, um, it, you know, it's kind of trying to me to be a little bit of a contrarian in a little ways. Cause it's true that I do know more Michael Jackson songs from even from just that decade where I called him overrated, but I want to, what I love the Jackson five. I have their, like f- I got from BMG back in the day, um, there, I think it was back in high school. I got their four disc greatest, you know, compilation of the Jackson Five, um, and that was fun to to you know listen to the you know the fourth disc on there gets a little less play. You know, there's a lot of Christmas songs on there and stuff. <laughs> but uh, but the Jackson Five, he he had 16 um, albums with the Jackson Five. He had 10 albums by himself, which is interesting that he didn't have more than 10. Uh, but what he he didn't what he lacked in I mean ten is a lot of albums and they were you know very very good albums, uh, but he had I think he has the most top one hundred hits of any performer um, or top number one hits like it's one thing to have a top ten hit but it's another thing to have uh, as many number one hits as he had many top ten hits you know and I think it's just hard to. Um, deny the impact that he had uh i would like to uh, for us to listen to and he's got a tie-in with the beatles that's right he's got his song the girl is mine with paul mccartney i think people yeah. make fun of it but i i love it and it's then a great he, song. he stole the rights to all the songs from them exactly <laughs> Out, yeah. paul, Very, paul mccartney was was telling him like trying to mentor his protege you know he's yeah. like no michael if you really you know, if you really want to get in there. <laughs> hey, that's, I didn't even think of that. That's another if, argument of how he won when, up to, When the judgment the comes, <laughs> he's, he's telling him how the real money is in ro- songwriting royalties. That's like, right. So make sure you get the rights to your songwriting, and then you can live off that for, for ages. And so uh, then the Beatles, <laughs> the Beatles catalog comes up for sale, and uh, Michael Jackson outbids Paul McCartney for it. He's like, yeah, I'll Okay, I'll do that, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just turn this into Brandon for the advice, Paul. <laughs> doing dialogue between uh I want the animated artists. version of this. I'm yeah. demanding the animated version of this. Brandon doing voices of all the the acts and doing dialogue back and forth. That's what that's the content <laughs> that we want. Yeah, man. Okay, what are we playing? So let's go with uh I wanna go with uh, his oh man. Yeah, we'll go with Rock With You from um, from Off The Wall. Uh, so this was his, his 1979 release. Uh, I think we played, I think Jason picked one of the songs, um, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, from 1979. Yeah. From our 70s. So this is Rock With You. Uh, there's so many great ones. I love a lot of the songs from the Jackson 5 era, too. Let that rhythm 
so good. So good, yeah. I think he kind of, you know, he kind of perfected pop, you know, in 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 America in some ways, at least in this this era, and influenced a ton of artists after after him. Well, for, for sure, if you think of um, if you think of the '80s, especially mm-hmm. like that entire decade, he was as popular worldwide as the Beatles were in their day. Yeah. Right. right, and you know he's also one of the few that were also in movies. Has a whole Disneyland ride about him. Right, forgot about so that. That, uh, yeah, that like the Beatles. They they had their Help and Hard Day's Night movies and Yellow Submarine and uh, probably one of the first ones to have music videos with right. Strawberry Fields and some of those other early ones and. Where Michael Jackson was the first one to have a theatrically released music, music video, video right? Thriller. With Thriller, yeah. I mean, he was just a huge star. And so when I when I started thinking about okay, who had the impact from America like <clears throat> the Beatles? If we're not going with groups, then to me it just that Michael Jackson was the first name that came to my mind in terms of an indivi- a, an artist that had the kind of popularity and star status. That they had yeah yeah uh and for for good good reason the i guess the the main reason that he i mean i've of course considered him but main reason he didn't make it into my my top three because um, another big thing about the the beatles what made them unique especially at the time was they were they i don't know if started but for sure popularized the trend of writing their own music. Right. Which Michael Jackson eventually did kind of, but even on Thriller he didn't write all the songs. Right. Um he, and he didn't do anything besides sing. He didn't play instruments. Yeah. Right. So uh, that that kind of brings him down sure. down a notch for me. He doesn't yeah. have that same quite the same um artistry as Yeah. As the Beatles. You know, I did do a little research, though, and one of the things I read about him in terms of writing songs made made me believe he had more to do with writing songs than I initially thought. Like, he would he would hear the stuff in his head, and he'd be telling people, like, I want this to be more like this, or, no, this is what I'm hearing, and he'd sing it for him. And I don't know <clears throat> the extent to which he did that on songs, but... Well, didn't, him least, and, uh, didn't he and Quincy Jones have it out a little bit, also even on, like, production credit? Like, like I think so. Yeah, at yeah. some point, I thought I read that that he felt like Quincy Jones got more credit on the production piece even than than then he should have. He right. should have because yeah. he Michael Jackson felt like he contributed more than he was getting credit from a production standpoint on those. Did it was it two or three albums he did with Jones? I think uh, I, it was at least two. I don't know it if was, he it was his two big ones. Yeah, he might have. Yeah, if he doesn't play anything though, how much can he write? Well, no, he would come in. Would he, and would he, he come would up with sing. stuff on the? Piano yeah, or, yeah. There, there were some tracks that floated around not not long ago that that are you know these kind of bootleg tapes of him singing like the horn licks to mm-hmm. that don't stop to get enough and stuff and the, okay. they're they're awesome. I mean, there you can tell he's like feeling it and composing it and everything. So I think there's there's actual footage of him kind of showing that he's right. sort of conceived of the whole song and you know had all these different parts that he was imagining. Uh, whether or not he actually wrote it on the page or handed it to somebody, but I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, 
I don't know how exhaustive that was, like how many tunes that was right. for and everything. But yeah, yeah. there was there you can look it up and find those tracks. Right. I want to. I want to cool. find that. Yeah. That that's consistent with what I read, which surprised me and lifted him up a little bit from where I thought, like, oh, this is probably more Quincy Jones or other writers, and there and this other. I think it was a person who was a. Uh, on you know one of the musicians on one of the albums saying Michael would come in and he'd have the whole song in his head and he'd sing it out and we would learn it. So that's my my first nomination. Um, Great. Let's move on. I I'm, I want to hear what's up. Yeah. What's next? Okay. Who wants to go next? Steve, you got something? <laughs> I know you do. Uh, I hate to ask this right now. How long is this going to go? No, <laughs> we're, s- we're scheduled. We're only scheduled for four hours on this one. We're trying to keep it brief. <laughs> yep. Uh oh, rut row. Uh, uh, all right. I might be some negotiating in in effect in about an hour or so. Um, okay. Well, I immediately or pretty quickly after reading that prompt came up with. A kind of a top three for various reasons. I won't give. I guess the point is is to give one. the I, The top of my list is Jimi Hendrix, um, and it, it's an you know it's an interesting pick because of the the quantities just not there because he dies so young, you know. But in terms of the with the Beatles, you know, you got Brandon. You brought up a whole thing with the whole rubric, and I guess I, I wasn't very mathematical or systematic about it. But I think in my own mind, I was kind of doing the same thing. I was like, okay, how do I judge this? Like, what is it about the Beatles that that I value or that's important or whatever? And I tried to find some of the same things. And I also kind of was feeling like it, there had to be some kind of time element. Like, who who are acts that were contemporary with the Beatles? Maybe they started earlier or a little later or whatever, but somehow there was some overlap there. So they were in the same environment and then would have had the same kind of impact. And so with with Hendrix, it was an interesting choice because uh, I feel like, you know, the three studio albums he, he produced go head to head so strongly and well with anything the Beatles produced uh, th- that he had the same interest and proclivity for experimentation, for using the technology available at the time to interesting effects and mixing that with these real roots in blues and rock and and all these things. And that he also represents this really interesting synthesis. You know, he's from Seattle, so he kind of has this garage band thing from the Northwest. He's got the blues influence. And as far as being an influencer, I mean, yeah, I I don't, you know, the statistics of, you know, top 10 hits, all that, uh, you know, he's not going to compare to someone like Michael Jackson or the Beatles. Uh, But, you know, just his guitar playing, the way it influenced so many people and still does, and the Mm -hmm. way that the British artists were just like blown away and intimidated by him and influenced by him and, and everything. But again, you know, he's an individual, but then he had these white British guys in his band, too. And so he's kind of maybe some of that British invasion Beatles influences is also but, kind of co- by, coming by the way, in very Hendrix, directly. Hendrix anyway. was in my top three, too, Steve. I, I'm right there with you. Awesome. So I don't know. I didn't really think through it to pick a track. I mean, you could play the very beginning of the album, Axis Bold as Love, and you hear that weird little alien kind of thing. And then it segue into a song. And that might give you a sense of like just the strangeness and the experimentation combined with actual songwriting and stuff like that. Let's do it. Okay. 
first track from Axis Bold as Love called I mean, EXP. And let it, EXP. Let it, yeah, let it play into the second track. Yeah. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to radio station EXP. Tonight we are featuring an interview with a very peculiar-looking gentleman who goes by the name of Mr. Paul Caruso on the dodgy subject of are there or are there not flying saucers or UFOs. Uh, please, Mr. Caruso, could you give us your regarded opinion on this nonsense about spaceships and even space people? Thank you. As you all know, you just can't believe everything you see in here, can you? Now, if you will excuse me, I must be on my way. I don't believe it. So I, um, uh, yeah, there's no question. There's no question. If he would have lived longer, I mean, you know, he just would have done amazing things and and kept experimenting with the technology, kept evolving. And so, I mean, the fact that he just, you know, he dies so young, gets cut short, is just it, it, the question of influence and doesn't match the Beatles. I mean, yeah, there's certainly some arguments there. I don't know. Yes, yeah. I, I I spent. Like an hour last night watching um, Hendrick's Dick Cavett show interviews. He's a fascinating guy. I'm glad you mentioned the albums. I, because I've had this kind of, uh, I guess, debate or argument with people in the past. Um, I think one of the unfortunate things that happened because of Hendrix's premature death there was a lot of uh, material that was posthumously released, and he's got like. I don't know how many greatest hits and compilation albums there are of Hendrix, but I feel a little bit like he's been reduced to his greatest hits albums. And his studio albums, if you listen to them like in context as a studio album, I totally agree. I think they go punch for punch with the Zeppelins and the Beatles of the world, but he only did three of them. And so we yeah. we're he's like... As he's like the ultimate what if in my mind because he was so experimental and he came in so immediately like changing culture there there's no way to quantify how many guitarists were and still are influenced i mean you can still get like a Jimi hendrix edition strat it's mm-hmm. 
the the world is still very much trying to copy. He was experimental, so the I I, I definitely keyed in more on the influence part of Carrie's question, and and for me, Hendrix is right there. If you're talking about somebody that just maximized the the amount of influence that a person could have in a short period of time, Hendrix right there. The the he they he and the Beatles um had mutual respect for one another. One of the famous stories of Hendrix is like I think Sgt. Peppers came out on like a Thursday and the following Saturday Hendrix was playing a concert and he came out and he covered Sgt. Pepper's while uh, at least a couple of the Beatles were in attendance. Um, kind of this this nice nod. There was mutual respect. I know Harrison was influenced by by Hendrix's playing and style. It's he he absolutely like I think his his imprint on um, rock and on music in general is just massive. I, I don't, I'm not even sure like. If we found out, if they did a DNA test and found out that he was a space alien, I'd only be like 10% surprised. He, he, he did things <laughs> at, at like beyond a human level. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like you said, I've, I, I think I've, I'm an example of one that's fallen into that, reducing him to the greatest hits. I've never listened to any of his studio albums straight through. Just, uh, just songs here and there. So yeah, that that was new to me hearing that first track. I'd never heard that before. The, if you want to do at, another at one, first I'm thinking, oh, this is cool. He's uh, you know, this 1967. This comes out. He's like, oh, he's doing his Sergeant Pepper. Except the the novelty wears off <laughs> on on that song at least. But hey, he's trying second album. We can't uh, can't the, uh, the last get track on that it. album is super cool too. I think the last track is Bold as Love. Um, yeah. A little more people, a few more people have heard that, but even that's not necessarily like one of his greatest hits staples. It'll show up on a compilation. I'm surprised that his his singles weren't more popular at the time than they were. He, if yeah. I remember right, he, he doesn't big, have. I think he was bigger in England than he was in America, wasn't he? I think so. Wow. He doesn't have any top ten Billboard hits. I, because I, I, I think he went over and was touring more in the United Kingdom than he was in, in the United States because he was he mm. was better received there. Mm. But despite that, a lot of his songs have staying power where I think even even kids that are in high school now would recognize a bunch of them. They might they might not be able to name them, like if you're like tell me some Jimi Hendrix songs, but if they hear um, Foxy Lady or uh, Purple Haze or some of those. Be like, oh yeah, I know this. Or that sick right. birthday track that I mixed for Steve Ricks. That's or right. that one. <laughs> <laughs> Who can forget it? Good pick, good pick, Steve. Hey guys, I'm wondering if we want to do we want to keep going around like this, or do we want to do all three? Each person saying all three. I know we already started, no. but do we want to? No. I'm just thinking. I I. I know uh, you were kind of joking when you said four hours, but but it could turn into that. <laughs> well, we've like I've already used up one of my three. I because one of mine That's was right. the same as Steve's. That's true. And I would imagine okay. there will be at least one more that two to three of us have as a common pick. Yeah. That's true. That's true. All right. Uh, okay, I'll go next. Hear it. If that's counting for yours, Jason. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Okay. Um, well, I I kind of had the. Uh, 
the mirror image of Jordan's here, where mm-hmm. he picked his his uh, overrated for the eighties mm-hmm. <laughs> to nominate. I'm nominating Prince. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I I'm doing this with. Uh, with some humility and repentance in, mm. in stating him as, <laughs> as the overrated. Cause the more, uh, the more I dive into him, the more I'm doubting that he was overrated. <laughs> <laughs> we're both, we're both like having a little repentance mm. moment here. We're yeah. like, sorry, Prince. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Um, still, I mean, still for me personally, his, his singles there, there's getting to be more songs of his, that I like, but they tend to be the ones I hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the the singles still aren't as appealing to me, but I know they're crazy popular with a lot of people, and, and probably for good reason. So yeah, Prince. Um, let's just I'll put the scores that he got in my um, in my grading system here. Uh, discography: ten out of ten. Top singles, 10 out of 10. Artistic innovation, I gave him an 8 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, variety of styles, genres, also gave him an 8. Seems like he can do almost anything. I, I haven't heard him do like a folk song mm-hmm. and haven't heard him do like straight up jazz. And but maybe you know what, though? I, can I make an argument for a slightly higher score there? Sure. Or, or do you want to finish out your, your score? No, go, go for it. You're you're more familiar with him than I am. One of the crazy things about him, and I think this gives him credit for variety of styles, is was his ability to write songs for people that didn't necessarily play the same style of music that he played, but could take a song that he wrote and turn it into a hit. You know, whether it's Manic Monday or um, the Nothing Compares. Like Sinead O'Connor was not. Yeah. the same style even remotely as Prince, but that's a Prince song. And I, I think he didn't write it for her though. Fair enough. But he wrote, he wrote something that what, inspired her ago. that, that she turned into yeah. her hit. Yeah. I mean, she he was, it. he was writing music that was transcendent enough that it could, it could bleed beyond, you know, whatever style he was playing, whatever you would call his, like whether that, what, I mean, what do you call his, primary style like funk and soul or funk rock i don't know we need to do yeah, I I, look look it i'm already i'm already style, huh? i'm already putting myself yeah guys we really need to do uh, an episode that do you see how i just did that <laughs> i'm pretending i'm part of the podcast <laughs> anyway um no look I would love you guys to do an episode, uh, especially, no offense to Brandon, but I feel like Jason and Jordan are maybe have have a little more depth and expertise in the uh, Afro-American styles. But, you know, break it down. Like, what is R&B versus hip-hop versus all those things? Mm. Anyway, that I'm interrupting. <laughs> but that was a good question. It's like, yeah, what is what is Prince? How what do you well? That's y- y- usually a good artist. It's hard to pigeonhole, right? I mean, you, well, you kinda, I think that also applies to anyone in this discussion because, like, you can't you yeah. can't pigeonhole the Beatles either. And I think that's another thing that yeah. makes them yeah. unique. They're you're like, what what styles the Beatles? They're just them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I apologize. Go I, go I back to uh, go, going through your scores, Brandon. Oh. Um, Anyway, eight out of ten is the highest that anyone got on 
on my score. Like the Beatles, I only gave eight out of ten, and some others. So I think he's he's as versatile as anyone out there. Mm-hmm. And also, he like Jason mentioned, writing hits for other people. I think he could do his own spin on other people's songs just as well. Like you, mm-hmm. you hear the uh, the track that our our listener Jeff Archibald shared of Prince playing "Creep" by Radiohead. He takes that song to a whole different level. Mm-hmm. That thing was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's right. Importance within era genre gave him a ten. Cultural significance uh, gave him eight out of ten. I didn't have him. Michael Jackson at the same time I gave ten out of ten. So I didn't think he had mm-hmm. quite the same cultural significance, but still really high but for general coolness factor i also gave him eight out of ten where michael jackson only got five <laughs> I, I think there, there's some people May, that... maybe at the time michael michael would have been higher i almost gave michael a zero considering <laughs> the, where things went yeah yeah where things are now but yeah also that doesn't seem fair to I, I think there's large groups career. of people that would even take exception to the 8 out of 10 on cultural significance. I, again, well, I'm sure I think there are. we we brought it up, I brought it up when we talked <laughs> well, about it. But there's also him. some people that see the cover of him on uh what's that album? Sexy Cool or something where he's on the bed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> him naked on I'm like that's not cool. But so I, that's, uh, that's again, really lame. <laughs> like like we we have to we have to acknowledge our own cultural blind spots and so for Mm -hmm. for white kids that grew up in utah he wasn't going to have the same cultural impact but i like i've i've listened to enough interviews with you know people like quest love that he was absolutely like he was the cool michael jackson level to them and 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 culturally inspiring beyond just music like dress and bravado and and kind of the way they would present themselves um I know eight out of ten yeah. is high, and I'm splitting hairs a little bit, but, um, yeah. but I, I think for large, large groups of the of the country and the world, there was it, he I'm was sure he was absolutely like at the pinnacle of cultural significance. He was more like Michael Jackson was more family friendly. Prince was a little more taboo, which which oftentimes makes them more cool. <laughs> little yeah. is an understatement, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. That's true. But in that fa- if, you know, there yeah. is a certain and, and you can definitely see my bias here, where I gave Neil Young a ten out of ten there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which I think Brandon, you even admitted to me, Neil Young's Canadian. He's not in the running, so just get over it. He did get his citizenship <laughs> that, recently, though. Yeah. Oh, he is an American oh, no. citizen. He's back. He did He's move back in the here running. when he was twenty. Recorded all of the albums here. I don't I know. know. I don't know what the difference is. I know. There's so many. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of people like that. Like, oh, okay, you're still going to be but, Canadian. But. but still, if you total up the numbers, Neil got a 49 for me, whereas Prince got a 62. Wow. 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 Shocking. Yeah. Science. So, yeah, that's my, my first science. nominee. Science. Can't argue with science. Oh, I guess you gotta, I yeah, you got a song. What are huh? you going to play? Why not go with my favorite song from Prince that, uh, for whatever reason, did not make... The album Purple Rain, uh, but here's the version of Nothing Compares to You that he recorded mm-hmm. for those mm-hmm. sessions. Nice. Uh, I'll I'll skip a little bit, like halfway into. Nothing, nothing. It's been so lonely without you. 
chills every time <laughs> such a Love good that. song yeah so good well brandon that's interesting that we did a little this little switcheroo and i you know <laughs> i think honestly i think you're right i think prince uh yeah great great pick well what else you guys got let's go with jason's next one yeah. oh all right um just deciding what song I want to pick. So uh, I'm going to go Bob Dylan here. Um, again, keying in, I'm just, I, I, I overthink this stuff. And I, like, I'm, I've reread her question like 17 times while you guys have been talking. <laughs> um, the deny the impact they've had on music and their insane popularity. <laughs> um, th- those two aren't necessarily like one doesn't guarantee the other always and so for dylan um it's definitely i think gonna rank higher on the impact of music than on insane popularity although he he is this figure that there there is a popularity and there's a um like an awareness like i i I don't know if i know anyone who at least hasn't heard the name Bob Dylan. I mean, he's definitely had a cultural impact that way. Um, th- but What's going on? Jason, are you guys hearing Jason's audio weird? Is it getting yeah. glitchy? It, the Something's backup going on with your be, audio. Yeah, the backup will be fine. I think my internet connection is just blipping in and out. Is that okay? Can, can you hear me? You guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, it just was slowing down, and, and then we then I missed a few things you said, but no, we thought it was we thought it was for emphasis or something. <laughs> yeah. but then, it was a dramatic, <laughs> a, a yeah, dramatic like pause, a, a digital slowing button. You're going. <laughs> Why wouldn't that be handy? So, so the two parts to Carrie's question were impact and popularity, and I don't know like how to how to quantify the popularity of Dylan. Um, everybody knows his name. I don't know anybody that hasn't heard of Dylan that's into music. Not everybody necessarily like actively listens to him, although I think everybody is certainly aware. Like if they heard one of his, you know, two or three, like like a Rolling Stone. I would imagine most music fans have heard that song, but his um, his influence. You know, when we talk about influence, I think is is absolutely on par with with the Beatles. Um, you know, he certainly wasn't selling like lunchboxes or making movies that way, but his influence exists within music in general and the the amount of musicians and and kind of style and approach that he influenced is just massive there's kind of a famous um story i don't know how much of it i went back and reread different versions of it trying to verify how much is myth and how much is fact there's a famous story of a meeting between dylan and the beatles 
And it happened, let me see if I can find it. Oh, I've got it open here. It happened, I, I think, in 1964. And the legend is that that's where um, Dylan introduced the Beatles to uh, Mara Joanna. And that they kind of walked away from that meeting, committed to change, kind of pivot from their 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 pop track into a more, like, I guess, like psychedelic and experimental track. But interestingly enough, he walked away also committed to, they kind of both wanted what the other one was good at. You know, Dylan had this humanity and um, kind of authenticity to his storytelling and the Beatles had um, kind of pop and electronics behind what they were doing. So Dylan walked away from that more, like he pivoted to to a slightly less folk approach and a more kind of rock and electronic approach. Anyway, they were they they had mutual respect for one another. But here's just a brief, uh, well, not necessarily brief, but a quick list of artists that have covered Dylan songs. And to me, this is always a great indication of kind of that footprint in music. When I'm always curious about who inspired the bands that I like. So here's a list of people that have covered Hendrix songs. So this is some indication of Dylan his, songs. or yes, excuse me, Dylan songs of his reach. So Hendrix, obviously, uh, Johnny Cash, June Carter Cash, uh, The Birds, Emmylou Harris, The White Stripes, Beck, Patti LaBelle, The Indigo Girls, Jim James of My Morning Jacket, uh, PJ Harvey, Tracy Chapman, The Band, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Pearl Jam, Patti Smith, Sean Colvin, Sam Cooke, Nina Simone, Van Morrison, uh, Joan Osborne, Lou Reed, Cat Power, Jerry Garcia, Joan Baez, George Harrison, Stephen Malkmus, uh, Nora Jones, M. Ward, Rage Against the Machine, famously did Maggie's Farm, Neil Young, Nick Drake, Andy DeFranco, Sufjan Stevens, The Ramones, Cowboy Junkies, like every genre you can think of. Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, well, Hendrix was the first one I said. Um, Oh, you did? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was getting some chocolate. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, no worries. (laughs) But that that is a crazy list that expands into all different type of genres. These are all people that have been inspired to the point of covering a Hendrix song. There's a humanity and an approach that he taps into that I think is really transcendent for for musicians and I think his his influence is is really tough to quantify that way. I know there's plenty of discussion to be had about, you know, <laughs> how palatable his voice is. Um I know that's off-putting for a lot of people, but his ability to write a song, the influence he made, it's I I think, I think it's it's right there as on par with the Beatles as far as musical influence goes. You know, maybe not like I said, delving into some of the other areas of culture, but he's his imprint on on music is massive, massive, massive. Yeah, and I well said. I would guess that. I mean, I've obviously not heard all of those covers that you mentioned, and I would guess that a bunch of them are probably novelty kind of stuff that are maybe on like some. Dylan compilation that didn't get a lot of legs on their own right, but some of them are were huge hits, like even bigger than than Dylan's were. Like you think of the Birds, um, Tambourine Man, and 
and Hendrix's all along the watchtower like they they took those those songs which were already great and then transformed them into uh their own thing that that really took off for for the those other artists too yeah and there was clearly something in that that inspired them that inspired their musician's ear and their musician's heart that like that that connected with something in them so yeah. Um, I'm I'm all about Dylan in my draft that I told you we did. I think Dylan went number three overall. Um, we did it, and then like a year later, we did a redraft to see if it, the order was still going to be the same. And I think Dylan was number three, bo- uh, top three, both times. Mm. So nice. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like one of the things that stands out to uh, would you say that Dylan's more stylistically. Um, less diverse, though, or you know, than than the Beatles, right? And like he, yeah, he seems absolutely. like not not so interested. Like one of the things I always think about with the Beatles is just the the experimentation, the interest in the the technology and using it in different ways, and also the stylistic diversity. And those are all things I don't see with Dylan, mm-hmm. even though I think you made a strong case for why he's so influential. Yeah. But it's interesting; it's kind of like a foil to what you know, right? He's influential in a kind of a different way. But it was yeah. wasn't it a huge deal when he went electric? Like everyone was like, yeah. What's, Bob Dylan's going electric. What is this?" And I mean, yeah, not, yeah, it wasn't took, as wide of a change, but he took pers- heat for it, for it, like he had sold out from his his folk roots. The folkies came for him, right? <laughs> <laughs> they did. They had they had like hobo bindles full of their clothes, and they Peter, were ready to beat him with Peter their Paul. hobo bindles. It was, it was like uh, George Bush Senior raising taxes. <laughs> yeah, right. Man, Peter pa- Peter Paul and Mary showed up at his door, and it was Brass like knuckles. it was it's not pretty. Some pepper not spray. Pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you don't, but, don't buy us. Yeah. Go ahead, George. I was just gonna say I. I had Bob Dylan in my in my top three of this, but I replaced him, Jason, for a couple reasons. One, because I knew you would have him, and so I was like, oh, I'll bring a different thing. But two, because I've said before, I don't feel like I have enough Bob Dylan knowledge. Like, it would be more me just saying, this is the right answer, but I don't totally know why. Like, I know in my head why, you know. Uh, but what I... Um, and I, I could go next after this one, who I replaced him with. But I, here's what I did: I did listen to almost all of uh, Highway 61 revisited. Um, yes, in the last couple of days, and a, a bunch of Blonde on Blonde, and I'm liking it. And I'm like, it's basically something where it's like, I know this is good. I know he's influenced more of the music I listen to now than probably anyone else. Um, and I, but I want to catch it. I haven't caught it yet. If that makes sense. Um, but I'm glad you represented. I'm glad you represented Bob. You don't. You don't got no Bonnie Prince Billy if you don't got Bob Dylan. Exactly. Am I right? I, yeah. Am I right? That's right. That's, That's true. Right. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just yeah, wanted to get that out there. That's he, right. He's one that obviously is going to come up in any discussion like this. Um, but like, like you mentioned, he it's it's just a few of those categories that he scores lows on. Mm-hmm. Number of singles. Four four out of ten artistic innovation. I gave him five, and variety of styles and genres gave him four. What about because what about artistic he's, innovation? He's really good at, at the stuff he does, but what about well, l- noticing his lyrics yeah. though? Because I think his lyrics are just you know yeah. they they've got to push him up there in terms of artistic innovation. I think that's what got him the five. Oh boy, it wasn't his guitar playing. <laughs> <laughs> 
He won. He won, he won a freaking Pulitzer Prize for he his did. or a, a Nobel Prize Nobel. for his. Nobel. Yeah. Nobel. Famously, didn't show up. Patty Smith won yeah. on his behalf. He got ten out of ten in every other category. He sh- but he's higher as an artist. He's got to no, be no one. I, I just don't see people listening to his albums and being like, oh, can you like even him turning to electric? It's like yeah. okay, he used an electric guitar, but no one's like, oh, I want to play like what Bob Dylan did. Or, yeah, but what about what or, about the harmonica? Oh, I need harmonica. To, harmonica. True. The harmonica around the neck. <laughs> he, but he's like you get what I'm, I'm saying though. I do, but there's. There's something he, about he doesn't his, have a Sergeant Pepper's or a Day in the Life or a that no. Kind of so level. so what you're describing is like big, massive like compositions. He yeah. he doesn't have those, but he's he like he's a master with the medium that he chooses, which is typically Absolutely. like a guitar or a piano, whether it's electric guitar or an acoustic guitar, piano mm-hmm. or harmonica, and then. He combines it with his lyric, his storytelling, and everything in a way. It, it, there's something really uniquely transcendent mm-hmm. with with what he does. I if he's kind of famously surly when he's live. A lot of times he's well, he's not fun to watch live. He doesn't interact well with the audience, but he almost mm-hmm. always takes like a theme. So I saw him the last time he came through Salt Lake with Mavis Staples and mm-hmm. his theme that night was like kind of country big band. So they were all wearing matching Western suits and he was at the piano the whole time. And thematically there was very much like a theme to his performance that wasn't necessarily what you would think of when you think of Bob Dylan. He, he does some cooler stuff. Part of the, I think maybe the mystique of him is he kind of just doesn't give a damn. He's so committed Mm -hmm. to his art that that's what he's going to put out there. And he's not really interested in winning popularity contests. He's just interested in channeling this art that's inside him and getting it out into the world and then people are going to do with it, you know, what they will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brandon, and, and uh, with your Minnesota affinity, you know, I think the same way you came around with Prince, I think maybe next episode you'll be coming around with Bob Dylan. You'll be like, I've seen the light, Bob Dylan. <laughs> I will Bob openly Dylan admit. Is a true artist. I, I will I, openly I admit. I think Bob Dylan would be, I think there will be a longer curve of getting to the point where you're like feeling the same way about Bob Dylan that you do about, about Prince. Like I, I get it. It's not an easily acquired taste, but once it connects with you, I'm telling you, like, I don't think a week goes by that. I don't have a Dylan lyric pop into my brain in some random moment. It's like Mm -hmm. this, it just explains what, what my life is right now. Mm. Steve, you're about to say something. No, I'm not. Sorry, I'm just listening. I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm just oh, trying wanna, to follow and keep up. Do you want to play so a track, Jordan, Jason? Yeah, I'm it. trying let's to decide. It. Like, I'm going back and forth. I mean, the a famous one that's like more electric that that you know I think you could see influence in other areas would be like Subterranean Homesick Blues. Everybody's probably familiar with that one. I mean, I could take a more. I don't know. Here's a nice track that I think is a really cool... It's pretty popular. It's from Blonde on Blonde. 
Um, I think it's a really freaking cool song. A lot of people have heard it, but this is probably like a nice summation of Dylan. Play a Visions of Johanna from Blonde on Blonde. Just like the night to play Tricks when you're trying to be so quiet We'll sit here stranded We're all doing our best to deny it And Louise holds a handful of rain Tempting you to defy it Lights flicker from the opposite loft In this room the heat pipes just cough The country music station plays soft But there's nothing, really nothing to turn off Just Louise and her lover So entwined So I'm actually glad I picked that song it because I think that that shows off some of the stuff that is maybe a little bit more difficult to quantify that is that really connects with people. I think he's a master of cadence like in his musical and his lyrical delivery. I think he's got a really unique ability to carry words across like measures he you know he'll he'll take a two syllable word and use it right at the end of one, you know, four beat bar into the next. I think that influenced, I think that influenced even how like hip hop gets delivered to a certain extent. And then he does have a sense of like groove and flow to a song that um, I, I, I don't think should be, uh, be be slept on either. Like there's a, an ability when, when somebody has a good sense of aesthetic for, for kind of cadence and groove that comes through that, that connects with people somehow like this natural rhythm that, that mm-hmm. just works for people. Yep. Yep. Anyway, I, I'm not going to stand up and say, you know, that he's the Dylan's for everybody that Dylan, you know, from a, a pop music standpoint is even close to the Beatles, but from an influence standpoint, I think he's absolutely right there. Right there mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. I I agree, and I'm. Uh, I'll go ahead and go next, Jason. If you're if you're wrapped up, and I'll segue what you just said to say I I was picking him because of his influence, because objectively, I can see his influence in so many of the artists that I love. Uh, Steve mentioned Bonnie Prince Billy, but it goes so far beyond that. Just basically authentic singer songwriter type people who. Uh, not necessarily hard on your sleeve. It doesn't have to be that, but it, but it's kind of that the individualism. It's kind of like to me the best of rugged American individualism. It's not the the poppy. I want to be famous, you know, selfie, do what everyone loves individualism. But it's the I'm. It's kind of the you know I'm not going to do thi- the opposite. I'm going to be an individual by not doing things that other people think I'm going to do or want to do. I'm going to kind of be true to my inner artist or or muse or whatever. And I, I hear, hear that from Bob Dylan. Uh, I didn't, I, I removed him cause I just feel like I, I feel like that. I kind of feel like that connection for me is still coming and I haven't given it the time. And so I didn't want to pretend. Whereas the other artist I listened to over the past couple of days, 
um, and what swayed me, it was Paul Simon and Simon and Garfunkel that I was also listening to in the last couple of days when deciding for my top three. And every single song I was listening to, I was just like, oh my gosh, I love this song. And I know, I know the discography better, mostly because of my wife is a huge fan. Um, I came to Paul Simon appreciation late because I always thought of Paul Simon in a negative way because of the song, uh, whatever it's called, you... You can call me Al, right? The Chevy Chase music video. I love Chevy Chase, right? But like, that, uh, I believe that was one of Brandon's picks for the '80s. But anyway, just don't. That that's song, a little tangent. That was a little tangent. That song was so annoying to me, and I think anyone else who played in high school band in the you know the early '90s to mid '90s, yes, you had to play that like at every pep assembly, and it was like. For me, it was it, the era when that was not cool. Like it was it just did not slightly cool. taint an otherwise absolutely incredible album. I think it was the it was the it was the beginning of the end for Chevy Chase's coolness too for, for a while. <laughs> but um, but but with that being said, until, until Community, until Community, right? But then I started. So a couple of things for me um, started getting me into Paul Simon and Simon and Garfunkel. I'm I'm lumping them together. Um, but when I saw The Graduate by Mike Nichols, which is like one of the early kind of indie feel coming of age movies, that's kind of at the same time that it's dark, it's also got this kind of beautiful soul to it. Um, but the soundtrack to that by Simon and Garfunkel with The Sound of Silence and Mrs. Robinson and all those was so amazing. Um, and then when I, when I married Joanna almost 20 years ago, I mean... For her, it was her the two musical acts that she knew better than anything were the Beatles. She she knows the Beatles like better than most people that I know, and Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel. Like she knows just all the lyrics and harmonies to so many albums and songs I've never heard of. And so over the last twenty years, I've been listening more and more to that, um, and just have fallen in love with uh, so many of his songs. And he's so prolific. If we if we rated, I didn't rate, you know, using Brandon's scale, but if we did, he would be high up there with the number of albums, both with Simon and Garfunkel. There was actually less there. There was, I think, six albums in that group, but they were all very, very great uh, albums. And then um, on his own, 14 albums, a um, lot of artistic innovation, a lot of going into different styles, Um I think he's influencing a lot of people, but it's a lot earlier of a career than you'd think in terms of, you know, spanning from the sixties, early sixties until now. Um, so, and then he did his thing. He did like a jazz, a jazz album recently where he covered some of his old songs with the interesting kind of avant jazz arrangements. I don't know if you guys have heard any of those, but, but they did it on, I don't know if it was the night show or on Saturday night live. They did a couple of years ago, really cool stuff, really cool instrumentation of some of I think yeah, I think it was Saturday Night Live. I just stumbled on it. It's like some weird chamber ensemble with cello and all this yes. stuff, and yeah. I was like, "What's yeah. going on?" Yeah. yeah, totally different arrangements, but it was very interesting stuff. You know, with Graceland, he he had uh, he had the kind of the choir. I forget what the choir's name is um, from Africa. Um, he's just he's had so many different Lady of, Smith Black Mom Mom Yeah Bazo Mom Yeah, Bazo? that's right. Yeah. So what I what I'd like to do it's hard to pick one. Um, I kind of wish Who's we could do a couple. Steve, 
<laughs> How good, thing we're, good thing we're getting the whole sound of the yeah. house. Huh? <laughs> I, How I dare just, people do I, something I, on I a excuse Saturday. Excuse my... I know, I know, I'm sorry. But actually, Lori even came in and said, is it okay? I was like, oh, it's fine. Uh, but I, 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 try, I excused myself for a minute to place some pillows under the door, but I don't think it really helped that much. But I, I think it's done. Well, <laughs> Steve, our, our spouses all know that the most important thing in the family and in the lives of our family is this podcast that occurs. And the, the marathon recording sessions we do on Saturday mornings. Yeah. Obviously, I'll need to correct some of this bad behavior by my family so <laughs> yeah there will be we, there will be consequences we've seen this the shining my wife now is not to yeah. bring me a sandwich while this is happening yeah <laughs> while while we're writing while we're repeating over and over all work and no play makes jack a dumb boy <laughs> that's the extent of our so, podcast yeah. <laughs> perfect perfect, perfect example brandon <laughs> That's a that's an applicable analogy, perhaps. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Don't interrupt. So, so, uh, thing. so, cue up. Uh, you can call me out. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let's hear. I want to hear it before I give you my pick of what we're going to listen to. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. I think this goes. I think this goes toe to toe with is. anything the Beatles did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I do and, quite like that song, but I was not way, a high school band way, either. Let's yeah. let's be honest here. It's his Yellow Submarine, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't true. think it's as bad as I make it out to be. I mean, it, it was more of how many times I heard it and had to play it, and then I saw the music video and I thought it was stupid. It was just yeah. Anyway. That was what I thought Paul Simon was, you know, uh-huh. and then I and I got into more other stuff. But before I pick the song and tell you guys, I want to hear just your initial reactions in terms of Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, your associations, positive, negative, what you're thinking. I think he for sure belongs in the discussion. He's d- didn't make my top three, but he's he's high up there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah save. Same for me. I've got my. I've got a. For those of you who can't see the video, I have a master sheet here. This is what I used in place of a rubric. Was a blank half sheet of paper, ribblings. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Paul Simon was in my second area, mm-hmm. the t- the terrestrial area. <laughs> he almost tier. he almost made it, and uh, I think you know Laura's a big fan and. She she loves the cent- the Simon and Garfunkel Central Park Live mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. So we've we've listened let, to that a lot. Let me ask a difficult question then. I, I like and, Paul um, Simon. I like Paul I Simon's know, solo stuff. I what's only his, know bit. What's his influence? What did Paul Simon influence? Oh, I th- Jason's I think slowing down again. I think he's influenced singer songwriters. Um, I, th- I mean, he definitely is contemporary of Bob Dylan in both time period and in like folk coming out of that folk place. I think where Bob Dylan is the gritty kind of like, I'm going to stick to my guns, kind of a stubborn grittiness. Um, Paul Simon is, it's more pretty, right? It's folk, but it's the more pretty side and more flexible in terms of, I'm going to, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> 
it's not like I'm going to do what other people want me to do, but it's like his stubbornness is like, I'm going to explore all these different sounds and genres and, and adapt and change. And I think they're, they don't, they're not competitors to me in terms of, they're like t- different styles of a, of a unique American kind of genre of folk rock. Um, I think rock, maybe pop. Paul Simon moves, moves more towards pop, obviously, than Dylan, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like popular. They're, it's a little hipper. It's a little, it's a little more... Like, I really with, like with it, with yeah. it, and maybe because of that, it, some of the songs will sound more dated or something. I really or maybe like they won't Paul quite Simon. Have the same power. I think I his yeah. self-titled is genius. I think there goes Paul. The there goes Ryan and Simon. Fantastic album. But I, I, when I was trying to see where he belongs in my list, I couldn't put my finger on what his influence has been. Like, what's mm-hmm. the, what are the descendants of? of Paul time, Paul Simon fans. Like where, where do we feel his influence today? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's some of the same people that I like that are, that are influenced by Bob Dylan. It's like, so like, I'm, you know, I've talked about Bonnie Prince Billy a bit here, but he's got his songs that are like stubbornly not like hard to listen to, but you, some, some of them you kind of get into anyway. And then he's got his really pretty songs that you're like, you know, my mom would love this, you know, and it's beautiful and the lyrics and it's a little more straightforward, a little more accessible. I think, uh, I think that that's more where Paul Simon is on the, if, if Bob Dylan and Paul Simon, if we put them on two sides of a coin. So I think there's a lot of singer songwriters that you listed. You could, you could go with bands too, like Death Cab for Cutie, or you could go with, uh, people like, uh, Daniel Johnston, who was, you know, influenced by the Beatles, but I think um, I think a lot of I think singer songwriters in America have been influenced by Paul Simon. Yeah, I know I'm being somewhat difficult. It's just in my nature, I suppose. But like, there's there's very distinct evidence for like Beatles influence, like people that openly list Beatles as an influence or cover Beatles songs. There's very distinct evidence for Bob Dylan influence. People that list him as an influence or cover Dylan songs. Mm-hmm. Is there something like that I'm yeah. missing? Is there is there well, let's listen to a song and see what we come up with. Okay. Here's, I'm, you know, just looking through his, uh, through Google's top songs of Paul Simon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got, so Simon and Garfunkel, you got Sound of Silence, Mrs. Robinson, Celia, The Boxer, Homeward Bound, I'm a Rock, Scarborough Fair, America, April Come She Will, Bridge Over Traveled Waller. Yeah. All right, so you got all those songs just in the... Even less less than a decade that Simon and Garfunkel were together, right? And then Paul Simon solo, you can call me Al. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Fifty ways to leave your lover. Kodachrome. Slip sliding away. Still crazy after all these years. Graceland. American tune. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, mean, I think about- that's where, as far as like creating pop music that stands the test of time and yeah. and is recognized by people all over the world that. That's the area where he's above Bob Dylan. Yeah. And showing up, uh, I mean, come on, Wes Anderson films. You don't have those without Paul Simon. No. True. Or, or, I mean, just may, maybe just film in general, you know, some of those songs, Kodachrome. I'm just, I like, I, I suddenly have all these memories like, oh, yeah, I saw that. In a, that was in a film yeah. somehow in a poignant way. I don't remember exactly which film, but anyway. Yeah. You know, know. Royal Tenenbaums has a Bob Dylan and a Paul Simon. Both. There you go. So let's let's go ahead and listen to his song. He's lyrically, I I love Paul Simon's lyrics. He's he 
he's able to do something where there's a lot of um, kind of abstract stuff that that that's also specific, you know, that kind of general specific stuff. But a lot of times really particular things that you don't quite know maybe what he's referencing, but then he'll say a line that has an emotional punch to it, like in uh, Slip Sliding Away, in Hearts and Bones. The, the lyrics in both of those songs just um, capture things that are just achingly beautiful and human. And I think he's, he's one of the best lyricists of, of all time. Absolutely. Um, and so y- you don't get that in You Can Call Me Al. At least I didn't get it from that. But uh, let's go ahead and listen to one of the early. This is a Simon and Garfunkel. Let's listen to Sound of Silence. Um, this was on, of course, um, The Graduate. Graduate. Yeah. And a billion memes. Yep. Well, I, don't, I haven't <laughs> seen the memes. but. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains Within the sound of silence Restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone Neath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stared By the flash of a neon light It split the night And touched the sound And in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more. It was hard to pick one for me to want to listen to because there's there's a lot of really great songs there. So So that just reminded me of something cool. I've talked about Goosebumps moments for me before, and Paul Simon harmonies definitely are, are. Goosebump inducers for me. Like it, mm-hmm. it happened just listening to that. The hair on my arm stood up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's the thing I miss most about when I'm listening to the solo stuff is the way he could, he and Garfunkel could harmonize. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. But even Paul Simon on his own, great voice. Love his voice. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's my second pick. What do you got, Ricks? I think Jason and I have done two. Let's hear your second. Has Brandon done two? Nope. Done one. Brando, you what? go. You go. This is your podcast for crying out loud. You go. Okay. All right. Uh, my next up, uh, Stevie Wonder. Mm. Stevie mm-hmm. Wonder is my next nominee. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave him, let's see, 10 out of 10 discography, 10 out of 10 number uh, top 10 singles. Artistic innovation, ten out of ten. Um, variety of styles, genres, six. Maybe that should be higher. Can he do more more styles than the Beatles and Prince can? I don't know, but he he can do a ton of different stuff. Oh yeah, uh, he can. Importance within genre, ten. Cultural significance, ten. 
general coolness factor eight. <laughs> I, think, I, think I forgot he, about I think that. He's I forgot cool. about that category. I think he's general pretty cool, but, uh, but he also it, did do that Paul McCartney song, which does tend to bring him down in, uh, in the eyes Brando of is people. being nice. The part of the general coolness factor is technically called overall badassery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was making it a little more family-friendly, but uh, <laughs> yeah. okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to... Uh, one of the funniest... The funny scenes in uh, High Fidelity movie, you know, when, when the guy comes in and he wants, I just called to say I love you, and Jack Black chews the guy out. You remember that? He's like, yeah. there is no, what, is your daughter in a coma? There is no way your daughter wants that song. Anyway, <laughs> he, takes, he takes a little hit there, but in general, yeah, man, yeah. he's, he's um, BA. So, yeah, when I'm thinking of people that, that uh, can go toe-to-toe with the Beatles in all those the different things that makes the Beatles great. Mm-hmm. I think I think Stevie Wonder's got it. Um, yeah. Just going through his his hit songs, he had 28 songs in Billboard's top 10, and he had 10 that were number ones. Um, his first number one hit was at the age of 13, mm-hmm. called Fingertips. Uh, so he's uh, he's the youngest person to to have a number one song. Um, and also the first person to have that song simultaneously on the Billboard Hot 100 overall and also the R&B chart. First person to do that. Wow. Uh, 25 Grammy Awards, 100 million records sold worldwide, Academy Award for Best Original Song. Uh, and then, oh, he won Album of the Year three times in a row. Wow. Only person to ever do that. Was not that? not three years in a row, but for three albums in a row. Oh. So Intervisions fulfilling this first finale and Songs in the Key of Life. Songs in the Key of Life, okay. So mm. this was mid-70s. mid-70s. So he's tied with Frank Sinatra for winning that for three albums, but he's yeah. the only one to win it consecutively. Uh, mm. fun, fun note, speaking of Paul Simon, in 1976, when Paul Simon won the Album yeah. of the Year Grammy for his Still Crazy After All These Years. Mm-hmm. During his speech, he said, I'd like to thank Stevie Wonder, who didn't make an album this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. The That's guy, awesome. The guy makes great songs Thanks. and great albums. I think he he also, uh, like the Beatles, is able to uh, combine that that pop sensibility of writing really catchy, really hit songs, but also making bold artistic statements in you know, big concept albums, big thematic, um, and doing some really complicated stuff at the same time. I mean, you think of all the, all the things that's in songs in the key of life, uh, thinking of, was it Questlove talking about his, just looking forward to that, that album coming out. Uh, one of the, one of the few albums that debuted at number one in the spot in the charts. Wow. I didn't know that. The, the day it was released. released. <clears throat> um, so just going through a list of his hit songs. So you got Fingertips, Just Called to Say Love You, That's What Friends Are For, Part-Time Lover, Haven't Done Nothing, Ebony and Ivory, uh, You Are the Sunshine of My Life, I Wish, Sir Duke, Superstition, Master Blaster, Send One to Your Love, I Was Made to Lover, Uptight, Higher Ground, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, For Once in My Life, My Sharia Moore, um, Tons of songs that even if people can't 
can't name them off the top of their heads. You play it, and they're gonna they're gonna recognize it, and they're, so gonna, they're gonna love so it. So good. Not not all of them necessarily stand the test of time. Maybe some of those '80s ones have a, a cheesy factor now, and even did when they came out. But uh. <laughs> I was gonna say he does he does straddle that line of sappiness a little bit on some of his love songs. Yeah. But uh, I want I want to play one that I think nails it, even with even with some sappiness. Um, but I, I think it uh, it has just the right mix. This is for once in my life from the album for once in my life. Stevie Wonder, uh, he he's one of the ones that really comes to mind of capturing just the joy of of being in li- being alive and being thankful for what you have. Um, so, and I think that's captured well in this song. Here we go. For once in my life, I have someone who needs me, someone I've needed so long. For once unafraid, I can go where life leads me, somehow I know I'll be strong. But my heart used to dream of long before I knew. Oh, someone warm like you would make my dream come true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my life, I won't let sorrow hurt me. Not like it's hurt me before. Won't desert me I'm not alone anymore Oh, once I can see This is mine, you can't take it As long as I know I have no mind Oh, it's so good uh, He's 18 years old on this That's crazy that. that is crazy Yeah, and this is his ninth studio album um, Huge career And... I know this isn't related to music, but humanitarian work. He, he was one of the big campaigners to make Martin Luther King Day a holiday. Uh, was awarded the United Nations Messenger of Peace 2009. In the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, singers, or Songwriter Hall of Fame. Um, so, Great pick. There you I, go. Go. I agree, Brandon. And I'm, I'm having some tinges of regret. Not regret. I'm glad you picked it, but just thinking... If I'm honest with myself, he's in my top three, probably above Michael. But but great job. And I've got to really quickly, I uh, I don't know if any of you guys did this when you were younger, when you'd buy your mother a Mother's Day present or a birthday present. And when I was in high school, I got my mom a Mother's Day present, and I got her songs in the key of life. Mm-hmm. But no, no, no. I got her Sign Seal Delivered, the album, from BMG, and I gave it to her. And it was a totally... Or mostly selfish buy because I was buying it because I just really wanted to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) And so we listened to it on our, she kind of knew too, but she loved it too. She loved Stevie Wonder. (laughs) But uh, we listened to that disc, you know, to death. And I've I've got a lot of his his albums. Um, I've been been a lazy consumer of a lot of the greats in terms of just going greatest hits. I know, Jason, you'd kill me for that. But I I was a greatest hits purchaser. But when it came to Stevie Wonder, I was buying albums um, before Ooh. and after my my mission. Yeah. The greatest and, hits and are useful; got, they give us exposure. But he's he's got some fun deep tracks in there too. 
and some odd stuff. I mean, there's going to be odd stuff being as <laughs> as prolific and as experimental as he is. Um, he was, it says, the first one to use a computer sampler. Wow. Um, I've let me see what uh, early music sampler called the Computer Music Melodeon used it on his Secret Life of Plants album in '79. Uh, also, his first digital recording. I don't know if it was the first album to be recorded digitally. And I know he was a pioneer with the analog synthesizers. Do you know details about that, Steve? No. Like I know he. <laughs> I know he showed I up. Should at, know, I should know more. I he showed up more. at the door of these two guys that were like engineer, audio engineer guys that were building this huge synthesizer. Back when it was like a big machine in a room where you just had to physically connect cables. And Stevie Wonder uh, ended up collaborating with collaborating with these guys for a bunch of albums and so he was the yeah. first one to get a lot of those sounds on his albums absolutely i mean that that as much as anything i mean connects him with the beatles too you know in innovation interest in technology you know using the the latest tools available for creative and uh expression etc so yeah i I don't know a lot of the details, but I know he's he's there along with like Herbie Hancock and some of these other uh, jazz rock, whatever artists that are, you know, grabbing the Moog synthesizer, the, the Fairlight sampler, other things. And just was there you know, any cultural overlap between he and the Beatles? Was there any famous meeting? Did they ever like cross paths? B- besides the- Ebony and Ivory? <laughs> well, I guess that's Yeah. <laughs> Well, early on, you know, the way the Beatles always looked to Motown and some of those early influences, but my guess is that there was cer- certainly some influence and back and forth, but yeah, I don't, I, that's a good question. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know of anything like I mean, they, they specific were or documented. Because yeah. he, w- he was sure. younger than them, but Fingertips came out in 63, so he had a, that same year that uh, the Beatles' first album came out. Hmm. Wow. Good pick. Very, very well. very well. Ricks, done. Ricks, Ricks, Ricks. Let's hear it. So the second artist that came to mind when I thought of this was Miles Davis. Mm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, not not rock specifically, but uh, it's hard to imagine an artist... I guess the thing that spoke to me about him is just the way the Beatles go transform, right? And they go from style to style. Or they go from their early, uh, you know, Motown doo-wop influence stuff and then get into the studio and start innovating and whatever. And it's a, such a short, you know, by comparison, the Beatles run is just such a short run, right? Is it like seven years, their studio album, 63-ish to... The 70, mm-hmm. 1970, something like that. Um, so Miles Davis, I was looking it up. You know, his first recording was 1945 to 47. Mm. And then released, I, I guess, in 47. How old was he when, at that point? Uh, was he like 18, 19? Is he young 20s? I don't... Yeah, he would have been really young. Died in the 90s. Um, but let's see. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. Uh, <laughs> somebody could beat me to it, but uh, uh, Miles Davis birth year. Like I'm just trying to 
put into context? Yeah. Was he like a teen sensation like Stevie Wonder was? Uh, so born in 26. Mm. So 46, he's 20 years old, 19, you know? Mm. Uh, and before that, so, he'd already played in a band with, uh, with Dizzy Gillespie and... Yeah, so I mean, the, one of the one of the things. So, um, I mean, he's he's out in front of you know a lot of the major developments in jazz, right? I mean, he's there with bebop, with uh, the cool birth of the cool, yeah, you know, the cool uh, mm-hmm. uh, fusion, you know, right. jazz rock. Jazz rock fusion. When when it hits the fusion part, you know that's innovative in a way, I guess, for jazz. But what it made me wonder is, is he just absorbing all these styles and and transforming and going along, or is he? To what extent is he an influencer? I mean, that's an interesting hmm. question. I think he is, but um, and the, his longevity is just crazy. Mm-hmm. And his later albums are generally not as appreciated as much. I I tend to like them straight on through, even his very last album, Do Bop, which has some rap on it. You know, I don't know if you guys have heard some of those tracks. And so it just kind of shows, man, he's always trying to evolve as an artist. Yeah, there's, you know, there's various documentaries. I remember it, there's one documentary. They're not always great or whatever. And he's, he's always kind of like his autobiography's kind of, hit and miss but there's some great biographies about him but in the in the documentary you know somebody asked him why don't you play ballads anymore and and he says something to the effect of uh i love him too much so mm. there's this sense of like if i'm too comfortable with something i got to move on you know i, I want to mm-hmm. keep moving mm-hmm. and I, I admire that and i think that that you know connects with the beatles you know jazz versus rock how, how he anyway i don't know so Miles Davis, he's someone I thought of, and uh, and he's also always in a dialogue with different musics. I know mm-hmm. he's really influenced by by Jimi Hendrix. He's covering. I mean, I, I love the album "You're Under Arrest," which has uh, you know Human Nature cover on it and Time After Time cover. Even even on one of his later albums, Two Two, he covers "A Perfect Way" by Scritti Politti. <laughs> <laughs> It's so weird, but mm. uh, 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 so I mean, and some of that gets filed away as like Muzak or, or easy listening, but uh, but it, I think it just shows he's always kind of wanting to be in a dialogue with with other genres and in particular with pop and rock, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like it. I like I like that jazz is represented because when when I first reread Carrie's question, I was like. American rock group, and I, then I was becoming, I was feeling down on kind of American musical output, and then I thought, wait a minute, America's the birthplace of jazz, it's the, it's the, and so I'm glad that jazz is represented, uh, I think Miles Davis, in our first episode of the, the 50s England decade. England doesn't have anybody like Miles Davis. No. So screw you, and, England. <laughs> that's Take right. that. <laughs> that's right. Take that, Beatles. <laughs> well, do you remember our yeah. first episode, guys, Miles Davis was, I think, one of the only things... Uh, artists that we all had in common for the 50s. That's yeah. true. That album was the only one, I think. Hmm. Yeah, he uh, he was in, in consideration for me, too. He's got 
almost straight tens out of tens in every category uh except the number one singles where he has a zero Mm-hmm. Where <laughs> he, I would actually put him as a twelve out of ten on overall badassery. Just yeah. side note, <laughs> that's probably true. He could get he extra breaks, credit to compensate in that in that <laughs> yeah. regard. Um, he broke the scale, but yeah, but that is the sure. the one thing where he can't he can't compare to the Beatles. Like even not only could the general public not name a song that he's done, but even if you played it for him, they're not going to recognize it. Like well, you, you have you know, to already be a fan. If you're going to make, you know, sort of, if you're going to make a case for for a jazz artist being a household name, he's got to be up yeah. there with, you know, John Coltrane, Charlie Parker. I mean, he's yeah. like, I would say he's name, name recognition. That. He's he's the one that people yeah. are going to know. But if right. you, if you, if play, you haven't right. purposely, you know, put it on yourself, you're not going right. to hear something and be like, oh yeah, I know that song. If you want that line go... from from Billy Madison, if pee in your pants is cool, then I'm Miles Davis. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if we wanted to go jazz uh, singles, this is someone who was on my list when I was first going. Okay, I'm going to go with bands, American bands. I had Duke Ellington and his orchestra on there, and there's the the singles there. You know, in hey, terms George, of take the trade. You, and why don't you just stop right there, George? I'm not what unless you picked it. Is this your pick? Are you going in with your pick? All right. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say. Whoa. Why don't you just stop I, right I, there? I like how you like to sh- shut me down, but then you like to go and list all sorts of things. I'm not shutting you down. I'm, wow. I'm wow. Unless it's your pick, <laughs> don't go how stealing people's to, thunder. It's not my pick. To, not my pick. To the listening public, I'm really sorry you had to hear that <laughs> and see that. It was ugly. For those of us that could see video, it really got got intense. heated. It got tense. I'm yeah. saying it's my yeah. pick, George. So I'm gonna be, yeah, yeah. be saying right. what you're gonna say. <laughs> All right. I'll slow well, my roll. I'll slow my roll. Um, I was, you know, I was just kind of reviewing the old Miles Davis discography and trying to think of again the kind of the time frame of the Beatles and wondering what's going on. A really. Uh, in a Silent Way is an album by Miles Davis that gets a lot of attention in, in, the, in, in terms of innovation in that it's kind of one of these first albums where the studio techniques and the idea of, well, you know, up, up until then, a lot of the usually the approach to recording jazz in the studio is we're capturing a live performance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, and, and so there's, and, and it's kind of like, it has to be authentic, right? You can't you can't do multi-track. You can't like cut and paste a section that you already had because that's not preserving the true nature of this being a live art form. But in a silent way, I think is the first, or at least one of the first, where this an album in that jazz vein was using multi-tracks and using where they would they they cut and paste just simply you know exactly a, a section that was used earlier or whatever. And it's starting to use some of the electronic instruments and other things that are kind of coming into the thing. So I don't know if you want to just queue up in a silent way and play a couple minutes of the opening. All right.
So this is the album just before Bitches Brew, which you know sometimes gets a little more attention, being kind of this free fusion jazz, you know, the first fusion album. Mm-hmm. Is that but Johnny here, McLaughlin here, on guitar on that one? It is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wayne Shorter, Chick Corea, John McLaughlin, hmm. and Herbie Hancock. Oh. One of the cool things about Davis, we talked about it a little bit before. He's really good at, like, on a Miles Davis album, still giving space to his fellow musicians mm-hmm. to to kind of do their thing. And then one of the unique things to jazz, which is kind of interesting, you know, we talked about, you know, what distinguishes American music from music from England, like... It is weird to think about you have all these different iterations of like the the group that Miles Davis is playing with like it, it, Miles Davis played with I don't know dozens and dozens of different musicians that he recorded with all at different phases um which I I think is is a cool piece it's obviously unique to jazz I mean in rock music Paul McCartney until he left officially left the Beatles was a member of the Beatles and the Beatles played with the Beatles but jazz just kind of the free-flowing nature of it in general you would have these different different iterations and I think maybe that helped with the the experimental nature and the ability for Davis to kind of push things in different directions because he was constantly changing changing lineups as well like he was changing the the whole environment around him it's just it's a cool thing it's just it's it's never going to be as popular as rock but um i love that you picked it he was in my top well, he was like in my top five and maybe similar yeah, to the easily. beatles and the whole concept of a group i mean yeah he he's an individual and obviously he was the driving artistic force he was bringing these people together but at every stage of his career it's always so energetic and collaborative because he's surrounding himself with just the most amazing other musicians yeah. you know and he and even a lot of times it's like like nefertiti one of my favorite miles davis albums miles davis quintet and it's like i start looking at the tunes they're all like wayne shorter tunes mostly mm-hmm. so it's like you know it's it's like you think oh yeah that's miles davis but really when you say that it might be oh no it's actually a tune by wayne shorter and it's actually the thing you love about that mm-hmm. tune is you know Herbie Hancock's playing on it or whatever. You know it's 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 always very synergetic. Yeah. You know, well, he's, he he's like... great at mentoring mm-hmm. these people too. Like you think of the people that started in a band with him and then went on. Yeah, like, yeah, Coltrane, Hancock, all these other guys that, uh, in a way, like it. It seems like he was always pushing him, pushing himself to collaborate with the best rather than being comfortable and being with guys that would just right. do what he told them to. And it seems, some of the stories you hear of him, you might think, oh, he, he's got such a big ego, but it seems like the ego was more about good music than it was about his own being recognized, perhaps, because he did give a lot of space. And I mean, he's so famous for just less is more and, and making the silence meaningful. And um, I think that's a great pick for... For influential and and an American, I, I love that you you picked yeah. it, and I, I I hadn't even thought about that, but I you know Brandon I think hit something really interesting. Mm-hmm. There is you know America may not have a pure equivalent to the Beatles, but the United Kingdom certainly doesn't have anything that even remotely resembles Miles Davis. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, and as far as like a band or an artist with the throughput, um, maybe. 
you know, maybe even like Stevie Wonder, the, the mm-hmm. Brandon mentioned, or there there are a few. There's a handful, the Rolling Stones, you know, a few, a handful of groups or collectives that have have or individuals that have that much but i mean like first release 47 last release 92 that's a pretty wild that's Mm -hmm. crazy and and still relevant through most of that time i mean you mentioned his his 80s stuff isn't that highly regarded but you know he had he had at least he had at least three decades where he was the best Mm -hmm. yeah you know in in jazz circles Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. so. Awesome. Great pick. Yeah. All right, Brandon. Should, I stole your thunder. Should, should you might want to delete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder what it's going to be. I can't wait to hear. You might want to delete earlier. <laughs> Sorry for cutting you short there, George. <laughs> well, I didn't realize it was your... your. Yeah. Anyway. Should I go, Let's next? Hear it. go next? Let's hear it. Yeah. Okay. So... Yeah, same when when I was thinking who who is our equivalent of the Beatles, um, and it I just couldn't think of a rock band that that did what they did because really the Beatles changed changed music like there's pre Beatles and there's post Beatles and Jason mentioned the uh, the movie that came out yesterday didn't come out yesterday it's called Yesterday came out two years ago or last year or something, uh, where it imagines a world without the, without the Beatles existing. Um, this guy wakes up and he's the only one that knows Beatles songs. Um, but even the movie didn't take it far enough because they still reference Coldplay and all these other musicians. You know, nothing, nothing would be the same if the Beatles hadn't done what they did because <laughs> they, they changed it all. Um, they do. They did get rid of Oasis, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was that was funny. That was a good yeah. move. But yeah, obviously that's true. Yeah. They could have taken it a lot further to but say what. There's only so much you can yeah. do in a movie, but you know. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, thinking of who who actually changed music that much, and you got to go back before that, and it's it's Duke Ellington, Duke Ellington and his orchestra. Um, let me uh, pull up the the stats that I found out about him. Um, so he first forms his orchestra in nineteen late twenties, twenty seven or something. Uh, becomes leader of the band. He's twenty five years old at the time. They start playing at the Cotton Club in New York. They're regular there for five years. It's broadcast nightly. Um, at 1931, he gets invited to visit the White House. Goes on a European tour in 1933. So they are big, big stars at the time. Um, and then hit songs. Let me... Uh, I just, I just copied and pasted this from a spreadsheet in uh, Wikipedia. But starting in 1927 through 1954, I did I know they did stuff after that, but just just through those years, he had 73 songs in the top 20. Um, and I know this is now considered jazz, but at the time 
I don't I don't know that there was as much distinction because there there wasn't rock and roll at the time. This this was pop music. This is what pop music was. Um as far as like what's playing on the radio, what's albums are getting sold, singles. And I think even now like where where Miles Davis despite being as talented and as prolific and as much of a genius as he was the the general public isn't isn't hearing his songs that wasn't the case with with Duke Ellington and even now if anyone that's watched movies or TV or anything is going to recognize a lot of these songs i mean you've got uh mood indigo you've got it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing uh sophisticated lady should i just play a few of these if if people don't recognize the names of the songs you're gonna you're gonna recognize how how they sound okay. while you're pulling it up at yeah. the time though like jazz music was dance music i mean they were right. this was this was like their the primary means of of entertainment so it's, i don't look at it necessarily as like a a long shot that mm-hmm. that he was putting jazz into the the main part of culture because it was it was dance yeah it was the pop music band, of the day yeah big band swing when people mm-hmm. went to clubs this this was it yeah. Um, so let's do, let's start with, I'll just play a few seconds of a few of these, just kind of show off his, his range here. This is one of his early recordings, East St. Louis, Toodaloo. Little mini the mooch sound. Uh-huh. It's uh, also got like that old, you know, black and white Disney cartoon vibe. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the kind of music they're using. Here's uh, here's some mood indigo. Here's uh, in a sentimental mood. This is the one with John Coltrane on it. Uh huh. Love this this version of the song. Uh, here's "Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing." What da do? What da do? do? And often he'd compose the songs as instrumentals, but he did have a regular vocalist with his with his band, and so some of the the songs would have vocalists. Some of sometimes they'd add lyrics after for other people's recordings. But this is one that he was the original recording of. Yeah. When I was watching uh, Jimi Hendrix Dick Cavett interviews last night, I stumbled across a, a Duke Ellington Dick Cavett interview, which was pretty entertaining. Hmm. He's older at that point. He's talking about his sleep habits and stuff. He's a cool dude. If it ain't got that uh, it's got Solitude, which Billie Holiday made famous a few years later, but... Take the A-Train, Caravan. So 
the list goes on and on with with the the hits that are still recognizable um as far as like um variety and artistry he is all over the map on that one as well he'd uh he kind of perfected the three minute single at the time but then also <coughs> had some some longer suites he had uh what was the first one that he that he did here um shoot where did i write this uh black brown and beige black brown and beige which yeah. was was more of like a, a sim, you know symphony type thing where long piece performed at carnegie hall uh he did the complete soundtrack for anatomy of a murder starring jimmy stewart uh did other musical suites based on the nutcracker shakespeare um Symphony in Black, The Rhapsody of Negro Life. Um, awards, he was on the cover of Time Magazine in 1956. 12 Grammy Awards, and those didn't start till 1959, so still won 12, 12 Grammys mostly after his career was done. Um, collaborated with Duke Ellington, or, he is Duke Ellington, collaborated with Count Basie, <laughs> Louis Armstrong, Coleman Hawkins, John Coltrane, Charles Mangus, Ma- Max Roach, Billy Strayhorn. Um, and the albums that he put out with his orchestra, uh, I couldn't be bothered to count them because on the Wikipedia page, I was just scrolling and scrolling through the list of albums. Um, so what I did was I calculated just on, on one page on my computer screen in on average, it would list 23 albums, and there, by scrolling, it was 11 pages worth. So 253 albums uh, <laughs> while he was alive. Holy only the, cow. Only the last, oh, the last page of that is posthumous compilations. It's about 23 of those, but so... And I'm sure a lot of those are, like, wow. you know, live recordings. It's not like each one is has all unique songs to it, but there's a fair amount of those too. Impressive. Uh, Impressive. So yeah, when I'm thinking of people that, that really put their, their stamp on the, the world of music at large, I don't, you know, you take Duke Ellington out of the picture and everything's, everything's different. He influenced everybody Mm -hmm. that's doing anything. He's, he's Noah. All the genealogy goes, goes back to Duke Ellington was back through him <laughs> i think that's so when i was interpreting Paul, you yeah go ahead steve uh leave it to to papa arnold to set us all straight yeah you know? that's right like we were we were just we were just like you know grasping at straws here and then he comes in boom <laughs> but no great 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 pick and i mean i love the analogy of like changing music you know who and so and yeah, I mean, I was saying, well, Miles Davis, uh, you know, who, what kind of jazz artist would be a household name? But, you know, Duke Ellington actually are, is going to be known a lot more, I think, than Miles Davis by just about anyone. Most people have heard these songs somehow, you know, mm-hmm. through cover, covers, through movies, through whatever, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of these songs. And yeah. uh, he's, he's the one referenced in, uh, in Stevie Wonder's song. Sir Duke. Sir Duke. The king of yeah, all, Sir Duke. Right. Mm. So I think Stevie Wonder agrees. Yeah. Jordan, you, you had I some thoughts about it. You, anything yeah. you want to add? 
Well, Woo! so You're obviously I had, considering a lot of the same things. Yeah, I mentioned I had two lists. I had my one list that was like groups, bands, and that I, I that's the list where I said I'm gonna go I'm gonna go deeper back because uh I couldn't find American bands that rivaled the Beatles, but if I went back, then Duke Ellington was there. And so I watched a documentary on Duke Ellington the other day in, mm-hmm. in preparation. I decided not to add him because I decided basically to combine my two lists. Anyway, but one of the you things I to found make space that was for Billy Joel. That's right. Now, I, I found uh, one of the most interesting things is because <laughs> you think of Duke Ellington as his own individual, but he's also he had his band with him, and there, people came and went. But he had some amazing players come through there. He had Johnny Hodges, um, Ben Webster, some really great saxophone players who went on to do their own stuff individually. But they were arguably their best selves when they were with him. But then his, he had a partner, a writing partner named uh, uh, St- Billy Strayhorn, mm-hmm. who um, they connected pretty... He was going to be one of the... He was going to be the vocalist, and then he also was a writer and arranger. But one of the cool things about Duke Ellington is that he, he actually went through a period of, of very... Um, of unpopularity, where it was kind of out of fashion. Duke Ellington was out of fashion. Mm-hmm. And he kept paying his band through that whole time. He's kind of the anti-James Brown in terms of treating his band well. <laughs> but um, yeah, he used his he, own uh, royalties from composing to pay his band. That's right. He would pay his band even though they weren't making enough money for him to pay it. He, would, he used his royalties, used his riches to pay his band, keep them employed. They were playing at you know, high schools and crap in the, like, in the late 50s and 60s when like, the big band music was just not, not that big of a thing. But um, one of the reasons in this documentary that it came across that he... He, he had this band was he he would write stuff and have an idea and he wanted to hear it played right away he wanted to hear it so he that was one of the rain it was kind of he was acknowledging like hey, it's kind of selfish like i i want to hear my music played by great musicians when i write it mm-hmm. so i'm gonna have my band with me and i thought that was really fascinating and interesting little tidbit about him. i get the feeling that his band wasn't like a revolving door you know there there was some some coming and going, but a lot of them were very long term. Like they're in there for ten years at a time. Yeah, there was more stability with his band than it yeah. wasn't just like Duke Ellington and a bunch and of guys I, that he. I like his like his collaborative uh, work ethic. Like how much he collaborated with Billy Strayhorn and other band members. Where yeah, uh, that's another thing with the Beatles too. Like there's a reason that they were able to do what they did because they had both Paul McCartney and John Lennon as two of the best songwriters in the world working together. And so they're filtering each other's like anything that they write, they know it's got to pass the other guy. Mm -hmm. So I I think when you have really great people being able to have a sustained collaboration like that, it it produces good results. That's right. Well done. Well done. Good research on that. I didn't go as deep and finding all the albums or anything. I just, Watched a little documentary on him, and yeah, good I, stuff. I just read a Wikipedia article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's awesome. Yeah, if uh, if you're new to to Duke Ellington, I would I would check out his album called Ellington at Newport. This is a live album recorded in 1956, so he was like like Jordan said, uh, 
not not as popular at the time you know by this time music had had uh, changed but then he performs at this jazz concert and just took off again and this album sold like crazy and it's uh it's got a lot of fun stuff on there ellington at newport 1956 nice well done boom okay who's next Jason, is it your last one? Yeah, I got one up? more. Let's hear it. I'll I'll try to be somewhat somewhat brief. Um, I was going to go a couple different directions. So, like for my last spot, I had Miles Davis as an option. Um, I had I won't say the other one because I'm curious to see if they'll come up, and if they don't, then there'll be an interesting conversation. I'm going to go with Johnny Cash. Um, there's probably a comparable. You could, I could probably make some of the same arguments about Cash that I did about Dylan. I mean, he's this kind of individual where the the character of Cash I think is as interesting to people as the music, but he really did make influential music as well. Like if you've ever toured any of the like the Country Music Hall of Fame or the museums out around Nashville area, his impact on culture in the in the South and in country music is massive. Um there's this weird thing, like he's this kind of um sympathetic rebel character that I think is still interesting to people today. I mean they obviously made a movie about him that where Joaquin Phoenix famously played him and people are still interested in the mystique in the character of Johnny Cash which tells me he still is having an impact on culture today he had that kind of cool um resurgence of career where he worked with Rick Rubin late and he put out I think four albums on Rubin's American Recordings label they were all just very acoustic stripped down versions um but he I think you know if you look at a footprint in music and culture um Johnny Cash has definitely done that I think musically and like from a, a songwriting aesthetic he's he's better than what some people may think of i think a lot of people look at him more as almost like a caricature of this outlaw western um person he was good friends with dylan like they liked to collaborate they did some stuff together that ended up on dylan's um nashville skyline country album um i think they did uh, girl from the north country which was a, a cash tune but they um Cash was a good songwriter. He had a he had a great ability to tell a story. He had a similar kind of cool sense of, of cadence to to I think how Dylan delivered. And then there's just something there's a there's I don't know how you quantify authenticity, but there's some level of authenticity in Cash that I think really connects with with people and he put out like if you ever go through old record stores go to the country music section i don't have the the all music page in front of me but cash put out a ton of albums he he was pretty prolific in the amount of stuff that that he put out so i don't i don't want to uh, belabor it I, I, again like if you're just talking about like people someone people have heard of i would imagine i don't know if there's anybody over the age of 25 that hasn't heard of Johnny Cash. I mean, he's he definitely even the even the, con, the idea of him transcended, mm-hmm. uh, you know, generations and across decades. So yeah, iconic. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the majority of my high school students know him. 
<laughs> I would imagine that, and I would I would Especially imagine a lot him. still listen to him. Yeah, at your high school, knowing your high school, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, how many kinda, how many artists he's able to from bridge, that decade bridge that genre even in the the rural area like like Payson, where the majority are really into country music, but like he's yeah he's he influenced. With, with he definitely influenced early rock. We talked a little bit. It'd be, it'd be fun to get into more kind of the overlap of country and the early roots of rock and roll, you know, where you had, there was, there was a lot of gray area, but he, um, I think he definitely influenced early rock in that regard. So, um, I don't know if any of you want to add anything or, uh, or, or dispute my, my claim, but uh, I think he still had influence. I still listen. I still have cash songs on different playlists that I'll listen yeah. to. He's, I did he too. Made, he yeah. made cool stuff. Which one? I do you think it's play? a good pick. Um, I was gonna go with one of his later American ones, but I think more people now are probably familiar with that. I don't know. He's got an interesting discography. I'm gonna pick like probably closer to rock and roll that he did, but I think it really. Um, We've used the term. Um, this one really shows off his badassery. Um, I'm going to go Cocaine Blues. Not afraid. Live not at, afraid live at to. Uh, Prison. Yeah, not afraid to push the limit a little bit and, and incite people. This is as rock and roll as it gets, even though it's a country song. Early one morning while making the rounds. I took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down. Oh, boy. I went right <laughs> home and I went. Whoa. this is gangster rap what <laughs> what year is this uh, the 60s, right? Well, this was recorded in 68. No, 68. But the, it's a live album, so he probably did the song earlier. Kind of wild to think about this. Like, 1968, this is a country western um, musician. Dude was a rebel. I thought I was her daddy, but she had five more. Amazing. This was. This is cash. This is. That's the mystique of cash that I think still intrigues people. That still represents like that rebel heart of rock and roll. That rebel heart of outlaw country that that appeals to to something. Like it's funny. He's a. He turned into an old man that was making like gospel Christian music, and there still is this piece of him that connects with rebel youth culture. Like with with a seventeen year old in Payson, Utah, still is intrigued by that that rebel nature the yeah. the dude has an enormous shadow that 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 impacts still culture and music today yeah that's interesting because uh, uh, yeah you mentioned the gospel thing because i i know him a lot from from that as well like he mentioned that his favorite album is just this collection of gospel tunes that he learned growing up uh like his favorite album of his own that he recorded um, yeah so, like, there's a lot of similarities there with someone like Kanye West, who, mm -hmm. you know, so completely vulgar on on one hand, and then so, uh, you know, 
gospel on the other hand. <laughs> and in fairness, Cash found religion. Like he was raised religious, but then he was he was definitely like a, a wandering soul that was that was being intentionally rebellious and then he he kind of reconnected with with religion but um he has this this chapter that that still resonates with with somehow with rebel youth culture even though it's 60 years old now it's really fascinating right well i've got a tie into this jason um for my pick actually so i don't know if we're ready to move on but my pick ties in with this with your pick quite a bit yeah um, basically, so, um, I picked from my different lists and from my list of groups that were the most influential that are American, I picked the Carter family and I, I was kind of doing Carter fa- family slash Johnny Cash, but that's a little weaselish. So we'll just go Carter family. <laughs> we'll just go Carter family, you know, um, uh, but, but obviously, and especially, specifically I'm talking about Maybell Carter, who is the mother kind of the matriarch of this family, kind of the first family of country music. They were doing uh, radio shows in Acuna, Mexico, and then later in California and different different areas that people would listen to all over. She's accredited with being popularizing guitar as a lead instrument, which is, can't get more influential than that in terms of um, wow. being the person that, that, that you know, popularized uh, guitar as, as a lead instrument. Um, and famously, of course, the tie-in with Johnny Cash is that uh, Maybell's daughter, June Cash, so part of the, the Carter family band, uh, married Johnny Cash, and they did a lot of songs together. And so Johnny's kind of part of that Carter family tradition in a way. Um, but what I wanted to uh, play was um, uh, Maybell Carter, uh, The Weeping Willow, Bury Me Under the Weeping Willow. While you're looking that up, John, Johnny's yeah. voice and June Carter's voice had like a really cool harmony together. They're, I love their stuff that they yep. did together. Really good stuff. The Carter family, famous for songs like Can the Circle Be Unbroken, Wildwood yeah. Flower, Keep on the Sunny Side. Very um, Americana. Very, very yeah. much like um, Americana music. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Bury Me Under the Weeping willy, Willow by... Maybell Carter. I'd like to do a number here. This is uh, the first song that the original Carter family ever recorded, 1927. It's been a long time ago. Called The Weeping Willow. that lead guitar yeah <laughs> so this is a i think that's june carter actually instead of maybell um oh. but that's okay that 
that's a that's still a great rendition because the the recordings of Maybell are a lot older sounding, super old sounding. Um, I had one album that was I think published in 2000, but it was a Carter fa- family album, and it was all old old recordings of 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 these songs. But but definitely you know influential if we're going on the influence route. It's uh it's kind of the the beginning of popular country music that people were listening on the radio and tuning in to listen on radio shows and they influenced um everyone and they were doing you know there's a lot of back and one of the songs i was thinking about playing was actually johnny cash and the carter family singing a gospel tune um were you there and that song were you there which is a classic gospel gospel tune is actually uh as a Negro spiritual. And so you have the crossover between kind of slave songs and then kind of Appalachian kind of country. So the, the kind of white working class and, and black slaves and the way that the music was interplaying between the two, um, I think is a big part of the, the kind of the, well, it's it's kind of fun. If you make like a family tree country influenced, you know, like Chuck Berry in a Mm -hmm. very dramatic way. And Chuck Berry influenced the Beatles in a very dramatic way. There's there. It's kind of cool. The connective tissue that, that runs through it all. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fascinating pick. This is one that I never considered. Wouldn't, wouldn't have thought of this, but it, it makes total sense. Yeah. It's similar well, it's just it's just more off my radar. Similar to Ellington, but from a different corner. Yeah. Like Ellington and the Carter family. Or you could even go back to Louis Armstrong, Carter family. But yeah. 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 All the way through to Christopher Cross, I think it is. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's it. And Rick Isley or Rick uh. Astley, whatever his name is. <laughs> Rick Astley. Come on, man. <laughs> When the families went from the the <laughs> settlements, the homesteads, onto the yachts, and uh, it just was like a migration. The migration onto the yachts, <laughs> sipping white wine and billowy painted pants. They traded in their cowboy hats for captain's hats. Yeah, they were able to take the early moccasin prototype <laughs> and sort of fashion it into penny loafers and yep. and topsiders. And top yep. There we go. Somehow, and uh, yeah. very influential. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I see the direct line as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, okay, Steve. That's my, yeah, that's, the cut. You got one that's more. My last pick. Yep. Well, okay, gentlemen. My last pick is a complete for your consideration. It's not mm. a band. It is a band, and that's perhaps one of the main things that connects them to the Beatles. They are a band, a collective. <laughs> That with strong personalities each. Is it the Pixels? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is the Pixels, one of the one of the really top bands. Oh my gosh. Oh, that was painful to watch. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I had not seen that as much as deep as I go with Tim and Eric. I had missed that. Boy, that was poor frank poor poor charles thompson frank black i felt bad for him really did i think he he got it i think he was in on it i think he was in on i i think he might have been in on it but i don't think he enjoyed it necessarily (laughs) he didn't seem like he was having a good time i thought that was part of the act that's always part of the act okay 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 
All right. Well, he's probably a better sport than I'm giving him credit. <laughs> All right. So anyway, but no, I'm, I'm getting to my, my pick. So this was a band that's first live performance was 1965. So I feel like in terms of the timeline, it matches up. Hey, have we ever heard of that year before, 1965? That matches up pretty well with the Beatles. The band I give you, not a band I know very well or, or even listen to that much, is The Grateful Dead. Ah, mm. yeah. Interesting. And I almost, I'm almost more just interested to put it out there and say, what do you guys think? Because um, in, in a lot of ways... Here's it's an interesting comparison contrast. I think comparison. Uh, it's it's a band made up of all these interesting individuals that bring their own personalities to it. That each sometimes different singers sing, sometimes different people write, etc. A band with uh, anyway a lot of musicality, right? A lot a lot of depth, a lot of influences coming from these different places and being synthesized. Um, Etc. The the contrasts again. There's a lot of comparisons and a lot of contrasts. I'm sure, but the contrasts that stick out to me immediately are the Beatles as they evolved. You know, not very long after really hitting their stride, they loved the studio. They went into the studio. They were all about creating these albums as artifacts and songs as artifacts. Right? They hated touring. They didn't tour. You know, near the end of their career, and then and then split up. Grateful Dead, complete opposite, right? Their their whole career is all about performing live, constantly, constantly on the road. The the albums are a footnote, you know, and they're only only a handful of the studio albums, which it seems like they don't care about, and that's not why people like them or care about them, really, you know? And so they're kind of the antithesis of the Beatles in that way. But... They're also a band that's always intrigued me, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm I'm young enough that I only heard about them a little later, and then I've I have a, a bigger I appreciate and love just the whole aesthetic and vibe of the of the you know no promotion and just kind of go off word of mouth and you kind of create this whole mystique this whole following, but you know it's certainly the whole the whole drug culture and constantly being on the road and all that. And also the fact that I'm, even though I'm 51 years old, I'm still a little too young for when they actually hit. So I just don't anyway, but I I don't know what, how does the grateful dead compare to the Beatles in terms of an American band? So in my period, I I love the pick when uh, the draft that I referenced that we did, um, I actually Picked the Grateful Dead, um, like t- in the twenty fifth spot. Um, I had them in my top twenty five. I picked them. They did not. So I, I think you summed up pretty some interesting things that are that are unique about them. That w- that's always been kind of the I guess the knock. Like the studio album never fully captured the live experience. And to really appreciate the Dead, you have to see them live. Um, I, I actually have listened to and still listen to a lot of Grateful Dead. I think they're underrated, underrated songwriters. Um, Working Man's Dead, American Beauty, and Blues for Allah are, are three albums that I think any music fan should check out. You, and you can see kind of their, their craft, Bob Weir and Jerry Garcia, kind of the famous architects, um, 
but they were they were so committed to just this movement kind of this this hippie movement and then their fans and they have they have like th- as far as their fans like a band moving and influencing their fan base nobody's more like committed than grateful dead fans i mean mm-hmm. there's people that followed him for 20 years mm-hmm. <laughs> like they stopped they they put their whole life on hold just to be part just of to follow it. that mm-hmm. movement. There, um, there's that's... Deadheads and there's uh, Juggalos. <laughs> <laughs> the, Whoa, uh, well, two, yeah. the two most rabid fan bases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you've, but you, did, you have seen, like, even... So it's interesting. If I, when I ask the question, like, what's the influence of Paul Simon? And I think you, you answered it well. But, like, there's, a, there's an interesting section that follows up the grateful dead where you have like the almond brothers and fish even like ben harper falls into or jack johnson even Mm -hmm. like falls into this i I think they're they're part of the wave that that extends out because of the the grateful dead and this idea of kind of this jam band aesthetic just this free-flowing like where the uh, the the crowd and the audience is part of the experience um they there's a cool chapter it's it, that i think is all because of of the grateful dead i'm i'm two thumbs up on the grateful dead it probably makes me a nerd in a lot of areas or or i don't know i don't know people can say whatever they want i freaking love the grateful dead without them we wouldn't have dave matthews band (laughs) oh that that's another one that that i don't love the dave matthews band yeah why not but that why not jason the dave matthews band here's my here's my hot take on the dave matthews band Super talent. I, I it blows my mind. Oh, in fact, I'm going to compare them to um, John Mayer, who weirdly is touring with mm. Grateful Dead members. Um, John That's Mayer right. and the great and the Dave Matthews Band, undisputable talent that weirdly makes the conscientious decision to make like like just music that i don't like they're not obligated they don't owe me anything Mm -hmm. but what they do with their talent is so weird to me there's some choice that they make and i i don't know if it's selling out like trying to make music that works in a pop structure that dave matthews band isn't really pop but it that their choice given the amount of talent and the ability that they have is always fascinating to me i don't like what they do with their talent (laughs) I just want to throw in something about Grateful Dead. So, they were when I was when I was going by the criteria of American bands, they were in my top five, top three, and then it was kind of like, oh, am I going to have them in there or not? But I totally agree with you, Steve, in terms of their influence and just the cult following they had. And I didn't, I hadn't put together what you mentioned that kind of the opposite contrast in terms of instead of going into the studio away from friends, they went out. But that's where coming back to this American, like, where are the American bands? Why, like, and this, is there some capitalist thing in terms of individuality? But the Grateful Dead certainly went against that. They had this aesthetic they totally embraced, and they, um, and the the live kind of embracing their fans and embracing the Deadheads. I actually found doing some research on this, looking at if I was going to include them, I found that they referenced Deadheads in the liner notes of in one of their albums in 1970. That's a very early, that name for their fans was like, that they kind of referenced was was in their album in 1970. And uh, I, that's another band, 
like Bob Dylan that I that I've always thought I want to listen to them more. I heard a song of theirs on KRCL. I didn't know it was them. I looked it up. I was sitting in my car, listened to it, and then I listened for the, you know, who is this? And they're like, that was the Grateful Dead. Whatever. And I thought, what? I got to li-. Because I always, in my head, it was almost like the, the rabid fan base got in the way for me. Yeah. I think of the Grateful Dead, and I just think of, like, Bill Walton and, like, the dancing teddy bears. <laughs> and and I they just did. didn't think of their music. I would just think of their fans. Yeah. And so... So, right. so yeah. they were cool, and they brought in like their their images and their logo became iconic. And again, mm-hmm. I think people look past the songwriting. They brought in elements of reggae. They brought in really some really cool elements, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, they they made they made some really good stuff. Jerry Garcia is a great guitarist too. Right. Well, yeah. one of our listeners, Janelle Tuttle, is going to be finally pleased that we're mentioning the Grateful Dead on this on this <laughs> yeah. podcast. We've We've been chastised. At least I have Listen, been chastised for not. She's a Northern Californian, so she's got to love them. Ah, yeah. yeah. If you guys haven't had one or both the Tuttles on as guests, you need to because mm. they can talk. They're serious about yeah. their music. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah well, I'm glad they're we, one that, that, we got that I haven't uh, haven't given enough time to. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think where they they fall short in comparison to the Beatles, uh, again, like some of the others, is just in in hit songs. They mm-hmm. they they did their thing, right. but I think the majority of people would be hard pressed to name a Grateful Dead song. And even I, who am pretty into music, I'm looking at Google's I, top songs. For I them. think the only one that broke the charts was Touch of Grey. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, they had a, like even they had that, a song, I, Al- Alabama, Alabama Getaway, which was actually an album song that was on the radio a bit. Alabama, of all these ones getaway, listed, here, listed here, the only one I can picture in my head is Casey Jones. You'd recognize mm-hmm. Touch of Grey if you heard it. Is yeah. Or what about Driving My, my train. train? That's Casey Jones. Ah, cocaine. That's Casey that's Jones. Casey yeah. Jones. <laughs> the second cocaine yeah, that's right. song of our, of our podcast. Yeah, their songs, are, their songs are a little bit kids, longer. Kids, it was, kids, <laughs> don't do drugs. Kids. Not super uh, radio friendly. They covered, they did some cool covers. Like They do a, a great Johnny Cash cover of Big River, a great Chuck Berry cover of U.S. Blues. They were, they, they were cool. They did good stuff. Yep. And the obvious kind of influences on like the jam bands like Fish and then other like I, I play we played a Medeski Martin and Wood song and I think Medeski Martin and Wood is influenced by them yeah. uh, an instrumental kind of funk jazz band but I think it's an interesting good good pick uh, glad you included him Steve yeah I don't even know yeah I mean it's uh, we already just cracked the three hour mark uh, so. <laughs> I think that's. I guess. I guess everyone's done their three. But yeah. anyway, I don't. I don't have a. Like I said, I'm not a Grateful Dead. Like I don't go deep with them. So I don't know if we want to play Casey Jones or if there's another pick someone else has. But I don't even know what to pick that's representative. Play, I thought about Terrapin Station. Here's is, a. There's a cool song. Play Fire on the Mountain, um, which is a, a cool song that I think would surprise people to hear. Oh, that's a Grateful Dead song. that reggae beat. Get up, get up, get out of 
And they might have been the first celebrities to have a Ben and Jerry's ice cream named after them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they did a great cover of uh, El Paso by uh, Marty Robbins. Man, they got some great stuff. Oh yeah, Uncle John's ba- Uncle John's band. I love that song. Yeah. Anyway, well, there it hey, is. We, Gentlem- I think we we covered a lot of covered a lot of ground here, and I don't know that we've got a definitive answer, but a lot for. Two two quick thoughts. So one thing I was shocked nobody picked the Beach Boys in their top three. Yeah, yeah, or Elvis. And I I have a suspicion on the Beach Boys. So one of the things that the Beatles did really great, their career was a crescendo. Like everything seemed to build up. They didn't have like their '80s slump, like some of the bands we've referenced, Neil Young, Rush, or whoever. They like their career was a crescendo the beach boys hit that high point with pet sounds and then i think a lot of people would say that they kind of tapered out after that even though they're still putting out albums <coughs> nothing near the quality of pet sounds but then they but dug there was themselves a, out of that hole in 1988 with kokomo yeah, <laughs> yeah they sure did <laughs> um but but the beach boys need to be referenced they had a huge cultural influence um and and they were inspiring the beatles i mean they were like they there was a, a bit of a creative battle like trying to outdo each other um which which contributed to some really great music like pet sounds was a response to beatles music sergeant peppers was a response to to pet sounds if i have my order right and um, so they were inspiring each other. The, the Beach Boys need to be mentioned. Um, they they did a cool thing where they really made like regional music. They it felt like they were representing California, kind of a California vibe and aesthetic, which I, I think is a cool kind of American thing. And they wrote the a song thing, about Salt Lake City and Lagoon. There you go. Mm-hmm. The other one that I want to throw out is as of, did as did Bob Weir. There you go. <laughs> anyway. As an honorable mention, though, the the I like the. It's hard to revise all this again because of the history, but like I look at a group, I'm going to throw out a name. I look at a group like the Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. and the Beastie Boys really hit the scene in the '80s. But there's a ton of other options. But they're they're experimental. They're making different stuff. Like if you took the three members of the Beastie Boys and put them in a time machine and took them back into the '60s, would their experimental and rebellious and kind of cool sense of culture have given them a a career that had some type of broader cultural influence? And they probably will get credit for now because of the era that they that they came out wow. in um there's there's some some interesting things where you when once you try to start really trying to rewrite the history you know what what can people get credit for yeah. but like a group like that would be a, an interesting one and if I they had the time, same time will tell with someone like uh kendrick lamar and thundercat yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well for our, our listeners if you agree or disagree or have have some things that you think we missed we'd love to hear from you either Send us an, an email on the, the comments on the website, or if you want to send us a voice recording, we'll uh, be happy to play it on a future episode. So, thanks for, thanks for joining Excellent. us, everybody. This is, this is fun talking about these things. 
big uh, big shout out to uh, to Dr. Steve Ricks for joining us. Thank you, and his B- family for for uh, turning off the vacuum. <laughs> Huge future shout out to Brandon yes, for uh, editing this monstrosity when he when he gets to. I, I don't mm-hmm. think it needs any. Just gonna <laughs> just gonna hit publish. Just let it go. One take. Yep. One take. Osmonds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, we forgot about the Osmonds. Oh, my goodness. How could we? Okay. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we're your, your humble servants of music. Until next time. Hasta luego.